We're not suggesting that you join the Satanists to get out of the vaccine. Podcasting from an underground studio flying under the radar, this is Dan. By day, I'm a professor of cognitive neuroscience, and by night, I retreat into my subterranean lair and dig deep into the thoughts of mankind. And I'm Dave, sitting firmly atop the Great Canadian Shield in Northern Ontario. I'm a pastor by profession, and a part of that includes unmasking the messaging that comes at us each and every day. You're listening to the Not Conformed Podcast. A podcast that's not sponsored by Pfizer. <laughs> Welcome everyone to episode 32 of the Not Conform Show. Yeah. No, uh, we are definitely not sponsored by Pfizer. Yeah, I thought we'd play a clip that circulated a few weeks ago, Dave, just to illustrate how Big Pharma has bought and paid for the legacy media. Good Morning America is brought to you by Pfizer. CBS Health Watch, sponsored by Pfizer. Anderson Cooper 360, brought to you by Pfizer. ABC News Nightline, brought to you by Pfizer. <laughs> Making a difference, brought to you by Pfizer. CNN Tonight, brought to you by Pfizer. Early start, brought to you by Pfizer. Friday night on Aaron Burnett, out front. Brought to you by Pfizer. This week with George Stephanopoulos is brought to you by Pfizer. This weather report brought to you by Pfizer. Today's countdown to the royal wedding is brought to you by Pfizer. And now a CBS Sports update brought to you by Pfizer. Meet the press. Data download. Brought to you by Pfizer. This portion of CBS This Morning sponsored by Pfizer. On how to find the hidden sugars in the American family diet. Sponsored by Pfizer. The Not Conformed Show, definitely not sponsored by Pfizer. <laughs> I'm glad you got that clip. I mean, it's clear that the media has been captured by Big Pharma, right? Yeah. Uh, clear, And so has so have many agencies like the CDC. And I hope uh, most of our listeners rushed out to get Robert Kennedy's new book, uh, The Real Anthony Fauci, because that really impacts all the conflicts uh, of interest and regulatory capture and Fauci's outfit holding patents on the COVID vaccines and investments, all of that stuff. It's it's really well put together to illustrate what your clip just uh, also illustrated, Dan. Yep. I got my copy of The Real Anthony Fauci. I first got it as an audio book, then as a Kindle book, and now I've got the hard copy sitting right here on my desk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same and, with me. <laughs> and after reading it, Dave, I don't think that we can trust these people in the CDC and in the media I don't think they have our best interests in mind. Yeah, clearly not. <laughs> yeah. And then last time when we ended, uh, we were talking about vaccine mandates, and we promised our listeners to continue this conversation in this episode. So yeah. let's let's start with uh, uh, maybe just get a do a little bit of a quick update on vaccine mandates, but let's focus on that, and especially also your experience with uh, the mandates yeah. at the university. Yeah, that sounds good. Let's do a quick general vaccine mandate update first. Well, Dave, uh, in that regard, New Brunswick has fallen. I'm sad to say this comes from an article in the True North. Quote, beginning Saturday, people in New Brunswick who do not show proof of full vaccination can be barred from entering grocery stores to buy food. The measure was announced as part of the province's winter action plan, which allows any business, including grocery stores, the option of barring unvaccinated individuals. End quote. Yikes. Yeah, and and once again, as we've highlighted before on this show, there yeah. are a lot of protests in New Brunswick, and mm-hmm. 
Uh, media is not covering it at all. There was some un- sort of some pushback and clarity whether they were going to push through with this. But the uh, the latest that I found on uh, CBC News was here's the quote from Winter Plan goes into effect Saturday night. So this was uh, this was, would have been just. Uh, this past weekend, okay. Uh, in the face of quote very concerning end quote rise in infections over the past two weeks and a disproportionate number of cases among the unvaccinated, Health Minister Dorothy Shepard said the three-level plan with new restrictions will take effect Saturday at eleven fifty-five p.m. Yeah, and get this, it will remain in effect until spring. She said at a oh, live stream COVID nineteen update. Yep. So at least they're being honest. They're just going to keep this thing going on perpetually. <laughs> and, oh, boy. And, and there are other other outfits showing the actual New Brunswick data, and maybe we'll get into some of that later, too. Yeah. This is not warranted, right? Um, yes. And so it, it continues to quote, the entire province will be in level one, the lowest level of restrictions when the plan takes effect. So we're talking about restricting grocery stores to the unvaccinated um, on level one. I, I, I don't even want to know what level two and three are. Well, this is a thing, right? It, it seems like the data don't support these sorts of measures, but they rule them out anyways. Yeah. Bizarre. Well, uh, Ontario has also gone off the rails. Here yeah. is uh, Ontario Health Minister Christine Elliott announcing how they're continuing with their vaccine mandate into the winter. Now, remember, Dave, in Ontario, the mandate was set to expire in mid-January, but mm-hmm. now it's been extended. Surprise, surprise. Another example of the only two weeks tactic. Yeah, and the flip-flop. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that the politicians are, are at it again. Exactly. Good afternoon, everyone. Throughout the pandemic, our government's top priority has always been to protect the health and well-being of all Ontarians. I'm sure it was, yeah. Our uh-huh. cautious approach and recent healthcare investments, combined with high vaccination rates, have kept hospital and intensive care unit stable and, uh, and low at this point. However, with cases expected to increase during the winter months, and as we continue to monitor the evolving global evidence around the Omicron variant, we must remain vigilant. We are still learning about the new variant, but we can expect that the months ahead may be very challenging. The actions we take today will help ensure that our communities stay safe this winter. That is why, in consultation with the Chief Medical Officer of Health, we are taking action to further encourage vaccination and help limit the spread of COVID-19 and the Omicron variant. This will help reduce the risk of transmission during the winter months and further encourage every eligible Ontarian to get their shot so that Ontario's hospital capacity is protected. In line with Ontario's cautious approach throughout the pandemic, and in light of the Omicron variant, we are Omicron. adjusting Ontario's COVID-19 response to strengthen proof of vaccination requirements and enhance public health measures. This includes delaying the lifting of proof of vaccination requirements beyond January 17th, 2022. There you go. This is aligned with Ontario's reopening plan, which required an absence of concerning trends before gradually lifting further public health measures. In addition, effective January 4th, 2022, Ontarians will be required to use the Enhanced Vaccine Certificate with QR code and the Verify Ontario application in settings where proof of vaccination is required. 
Yeah, I'm starting to think that the reopening plan is just a euphemism for stay shut down plan. <laughs> but uh, yeah, notice uh, the repeated mentions of the Omicron variant or the Omicron variant, as Biden says. Um, and she mentioned that several times to justify more vax passes, even though by most expert accounts that I've read, this particular variant seems to be pretty subdued, leading to symptoms much like the common flu or cold. And I've got a stuffed up nose right now, and maybe that's the Omicron Biden variant, but uh, who knows? <laughs> you know, but, watching, but even too much Transformers. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Megatron variant. Um, but yeah, even though this is a subdued variant, that doesn't matter. Now we have an extended proof of vaccination mandate together with an enhanced vaccine certificate with QR code and the special app. So it's total technocracy in our fine province of Ontario. Yeah, and notice we, uh, in the last episode, we talked about the flip-flop technique, and this is exactly what Ford said. Oh, we're not going to do that. We're just going to, it's temporary. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not going to, um, you know, we're not going to uh, roll this out long-term. It's going to go away in January. And here we have an excuse now to enhance the system so that they can get the QR code through. Because most people I talk to do not want to be treated like cattle or, or, or auto parts, right? They don't want to be, QR coded, but, yep. um, but we're going to get it under this, under this pretext of, um, well, the, the other part of the pretext of course, is when you listen to the health ministers is there, there's always a journalist asking about fraud. And so oh, yeah. we have to enhance the system so that to prevent fraud. And so it won't be just a certificate. Now you got to get QR, QR coded and uh, verified and all these things. And this is, this is, it's very important uh, psychologically not to get tied down to dates when they give you dates, because yeah. I remember hearing a commentator talk about it. Either it was, it was the, uh, it was under the Nazis or it was under the Soviet, maybe Soviet occupation that when dates come and go, if you, if you pin your hopes on them, then you're way more demoralized when they do this kind of shifting the goalposts business. So, yeah, that's an, that's an excellent point, Dave. <clears throat> Um, and you know, if, if we were to have said, let's say a year and a half ago that everybody's going to be walking around on their phone with a QR code, or you won't be able to access, uh, certain things that you previously could access, like maybe, uh, use transportation and, uh, go to certain kinds of, of stores and so on. People would say we were completely crazy, but here we are slowly we've moved towards precisely this end. So I think another useful tip is for people to always compare the current situation to what what it was like a year ago and to what people were promised a year ago or maybe two years ago. Because mm-hmm. that, I think, reveals a sharper contrast between the now and the, and the previous state of affairs. That's right. That's right. Because otherwise we forget that the cycle is just too fast. The new cycle, the changes are coming too quick. You forget where we were at. Yeah. And it was definitely considered conspiracy theory then. Um, now, that's right. now they're talking about merging our health cards and our driver's licenses in with this stuff. Right. So, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's very, it's very concerning and they just keep pouring on. Yeah. Now, Dave, listen to this. Uh, this is another clip from that Christine Elliott uh, news report and uh, here she's shilling for big pharma as we continue to learn more about the omicron variant we are taking these and other measures to protect our progress dr moore will provide more details in a few moments but before i hand it over i want to strongly urge everyone 
to get vaccinated and to get your booster dose as soon as you are eligible to do so. Booster! In no uncertain terms, vaccines work. On Monday, millions of Ontarians aged 50 and over will be eligible to book their appointment for a booster dose. Ah, uh, there Please you go. Please do so as soon as you can. Our government won't hesitate to continue to take swift action to ensure the continued health and safety of Ontarians. Swift. But vaccines are still the single best thing you can do to protect yourselves and your loved ones against COVID-19 and its variants. So they are taking swift action, particularly against those who are not vaccinated, those who are vaccine-free. And Dave, I think we should start using the word, the term vaccine-free instead of unvaccinated, because it just sounds better. It was suggested mm-hmm. on one of my email uh, exchanges there with uh, fellow members of the resistance. Somebody suggested vaccine-free, kind of like GMO-free or... Yeah, that's important. That's, yeah. that's a good one. Yeah, that's right. Well, anyways, she mentions the Omicron again. And she says, get vaccinated, get your booster. And she says, quote, in no uncertain terms, vaccines work. And okay, is anyone asking if the vaccines work? Why does everyone need a booster? (laughs) That's right, Dan. (laughs) Totally bizarre. Here, I have the definitive clip that this some guy posted to Twitter on this uh, Omicron variant. Okay. Okay. And, And in response to this too. Yeah. So you may have heard the news today that there's a new deadly strain of COVID coming from a place called Botswana in South Africa. And they've decided to call this variant the Omicron variant. The Omicron variant. And strangely, bizarrely, or maybe coincidentally, if you rearrange the word Omicron, it spells moronic. Very strange. (laughs) <laughs> indeed I, I think i think that pretty much sums it up <laughs> i love that guy's accent too i know i know i don't even know who he is it just so somebody sent this to me but but you know what we, we really dan we've got to get serious about this because we yeah. really we shouldn't mock these things you know this is uh, uh lest we forget uh, i have another okay. clip from a prior episode here Okay. But I've uh, come up with an 11th commandment, oh, which yeah. is obey the public health orders. <laughs> yes. Obey the public health orders. Dave, did you know that it's actually our solemn duty as refugees to Canada to fight against this oppressive vaccine mandate stuff and to uphold human freedoms in Canada? Hmm. Yeah. It, it's actually our, your and my solemn duty. You know, uh, my wife was digging through some of our old documents and she found my official letter confirming my Canadian citizenship. And I I assume you have the same letter kicking around somewhere. It's back from the early 80s when we became Canadian citizens coming from then communist, tyrannical Czechoslovakia. And I was looking at this letter and in one of the few paragraphs, it's very short, it says the following, quote, from this point forward, as a Canadian citizen, you will share fully in the rights and privileges enjoyed by all Canadians. At the same time, you assume the special responsibility of protecting and preserving the principles of democracy and human freedom, which are the cornerstones of our nation. End quote. That's what it said, Dave. We have all a right. special well, that, responsibility. There you go. We, 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 got the, we actually get the memo from the government. And so we're, we're you know, we, we kind of forgot about the memo, but we're doing the job. 
Exactly. And and I wonder what those letters say now, <laughs> whether rather than protecting uh, human freedom, it says protecting globalism or driving towards globalism or something like yeah. that. Uh, well, nowadays they, they make Muslims watch, you know, homosexual activity and stuff like that before they become, let them become citizens. So, Oh my goodness. Well, Dave, let's uphold our special responsibility in this episode of the Not Conform Show even as we hope to share fully in the rights and privileges embedded in our human rights code. And let's shine a light on these vaccine mandates and how oppressive they are. So let's get to it. This is the Not Conform Show. Make sure you tell everyone you know. Okay, Dan, so let's, uh, let's talk about what's going on at the universities with their vaccine mandates. Yes, well, Ontario universities have now instituted sweeping vaccine mandates, and I must say that they did so in a, in a blundering and a ham-fisted way. At this point, for all intents and purposes, I could say that it seems it's either jab or you're out of your institution. And that's the case for students, staff, and faculty. So uh, there are students, Dave, that have now been de-enrolled from their courses even though they were nearing the end of the semester. So just because wow. they either didn't declare their, their vaccine status or because they applied for an exemption, it was denied. Uh, either way, if they're not jabbed, then they were just de-enrolled. And I know, for instance, uh, a first violinist in uh, one of the universities here in the music program, you know, the star role in the orchestra, that person being de-enrolled couldn't even play uh, with the orchestra anymore. Terrible. Staff wow. have been suspended and even let go. And and here's a shocker. Tenured faculty have been placed under discipline. And there are suspensions, suspensions without pay. Uh, there's a case uh, that we'll talk about later. One even fired. So tenure and a decorated research career or a teaching career don't matter. The rules, especially yeah. regarding the protection of tenure, seem to have changed completely. And I, I could think of a number of examples, but here's one. It involves Dr. Sarah Polsker, and she is an associate professor and Canada research chair. Okay, it's a very, not very many people get these positions of Canada research chair. You have to be ext an extraordinary researcher. Okay. Mm. And she's a Canada research chair of quantum information theory at Brandon University. Okay, quantum information theory. So, this is, this is, you got to be really smart to hold that chair. But listen to this situation. I do my research mm -hmm. from home. My admin duties, I can do at home. It's just um, teaching my course. And I was hoping then that I could do it over Zoom. But I was told that that wasn't an option, that uh, somebody else, another professor in math would be taking over my course. And uh, then I was told that because I wasn't complying, I would be put on unpaid leave, non-punitive unpaid leave indefinitely. There you go. Unpaid leave indefinitely. And if you listen to the, the interview, um, you learn that she's the primary income earner in her family because her husband made some sacrifices to follow her career. And they're building an off-the-grid house, which is really cool. It's the Earthship. I don't know if you've if you follow mm -hmm. that movement with uh, architect Michael Reynolds. They call him the Garbage Warrior. Um, there's a there's a documentary about him. Anyways, they're 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 doing that, and now she has no income, you know. And what happened to promoting women in STEM? 
You know, there's always yeah, been this push. Yeah. We got to get more women into the sciences. Well, look, you've got this Canada research chair right now who is suspended without pay. Yeah, and the irony is they'll just move that course online and eventually, eventually anyway. So indeed, I know, I know because they can't get someone to teach it fast enough. And so, yeah, they'll, they'll probably move these online. Actually, I know of cases where that's happened. Yeah. They just punitively won't let her do it. That's all. Exactly. Um, Dan, there's a great article that I think it was you that sent it to me. It was yeah. by Professor Janice Fiamengo. Um, I think she's a retired prof from the University of Ottawa. Is that yes, right? Yes, that's right. Um, and the article is how COVID-19 killed academic tenure mm-hmm. um, in the pipeline. And uh, here's a very interesting quote. So academic tenure, she writes, has long been controversial and imperfect. And now in one fell swoop, it is dead killed by progressives under the guise of COVID-19 safety. Yep. The manner of its killing tells us much about progressives' respect for individual rights. And, and then just a bit later, um, in the time of COVID, however, mass firings are in preparation at universities across North America without even a pretense of case-by-case consideration or rational weighing of evidence. Tenure be damned. Um, and I, I think this... this I think this pretty accurately describes what you're seeing from your perspective, doesn't it? Yeah, that's right. Tenure seems to matter very little right now. And I think in this regard, we've been caught completely off guard. I myself didn't expect that tenure would count for so little in this case. Um, And, you know, I can mention another example here of a tenured professor who uh, ended up losing her job and that's dr julie panessi she was a professor of ethics at western university which is one of the biggest universities in uh, in ontario and even in canada and she specialized dave in bioethics and she was yeah. fired because she refused to disclose her vaccination status because she viewed the vaccine mandates as violating fundamental bioethics mm-hmm. i have a clip from this video that went viral probably many of our listeners have already seen it but just worth listening to it again here we go my name is Julie Panessi, and this message is about mandatory vaccinations. I am a professor of ethics at Huron College at the University of Western Ontario. It's one of the largest universities in Canada. Today, I'm going to teach you a short lesson on the universally accepted ethics of coercing people into medical procedures. I'll be the example. My employer has just mandated that I must get a vaccine for COVID-19. If I want to keep working at my job as a professor, I have to take this vaccine. Here's my conundrum. My school employs me to be an authority on the subject of ethics. I hold a PhD in ethics and ancient philosophy. And I'm here to tell you it's ethically wrong to coerce someone to take a vaccine. If it happens to you, you don't have to do it. If you don't want a COVID vaccine, don't take one. End of discussion. It's your own business. But that is not the approach of the University of Western Ontario, which has suddenly required that I be vaccinated immediately or not report for work. So with the school year beginning in a few days, I am facing imminent dismissal after 20 years on the job, because I will not submit to having an experimental vaccine injected into my body. I've had plenty of vaccines in my life, but I've never been forced to take one. It's always been my choice. 
I don't work in a high-risk environment. I'm not a doctor in an emergency room. I'm a teacher. I'm a university professor. My job is to teach students how to think critically, to ask questions that might expose a false argument. Questions like, says who? Who is the authority giving this order? Should I trust them with control over my body? As a professor, I don't have to watch the news to find out if the COVID vaccines are safe. I read medical journals and I consult my colleagues who are professors of science and medicine. I've learned from doctors that there are serious questions about how safe these vaccines really are. There are questions about how well they work. Nobody's promising that I won't get COVID or transmit COVID if I get the vaccine. But ultimately, none of that matters to me because I'm a professor of ethics and I'm a Canadian. I'm entitled to make choices about what does and does not enter my body, regardless of my reasons. If I'm allowed back into my university, it's my job to teach my students that this is wrong. I'm hired to teach them that it is ethically wrong to impose an experimental medical procedure as a condition of employment. This is my first and potentially my last lesson of the year. And you can hear how she kind of breaks up a little bit there because she's starting to tear up. Um, and the whole thing is about five minutes and uh, you get a sense for how this has impacted her life. Uh, she was ultimately terminated uh, shortly after releasing that video. And, you know, she's landed on her feet now and you can you can see a lot of uh, her on the Internet. She's interviewing different people um, involved in this resistance and doing a fantastic job. And I, I think I, I, I remember her saying even that now maybe being out of there, it's like a weight's been lifted off her shoulders. But um, what a story. Yeah, it's 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 very sad, Dan. All all of these stories, and there's many that n don't get told, and it, it'll take years to find out about them that are very similar. I'm quite sure, and we we really should give Dr. Pernesi and other faculties, members, and lecturers, and staff, and students who are resisting the not conform salute. Yeah, we salute you at the not conform show. We forgot our cannon fire there. <laughs> we gotta yeah, we gotta get, I think we got to recut that clip with the, put the cannon in there. It just, we just need it. Yeah, it's exactly. Just missing just, that at the end. <laughs> yeah, that, that punctuation, the emphasis. Yeah, that's right. Well, there are other professors, Dave. There's a professor at University of California, Aaron Cariotti, and he's been suspended for going against the vaccine mandate at his university. And here's the interesting thing. He was a professor of medical ethics as well. He taught medical ethics. So where are we as a society if we're suspending or firing ethics professors? <laughs> if we got to do that, I think we've got a problem. Yeah, that about sums it up, doesn't it? So let's talk about exemptions, Dan. Tell us about the possibility of even getting exemptions from these vaccine mandates. Um, yeah. Where are we at with that whole thing? Well, as you say, there is a provision for exemptions, but these are defined very narrowly. And right from the start, we were told that only a small number of these would be granted. So this was in the messaging from the university. Mm. Um, and you can apply for medical exemption, but it will only be granted 
if you either have an allergy to one of the components of the vaccines, which has to be verified by an allergist, or if you had a major negative side effect of the first dose of the vaccine. So, right. so if you're already suffering with myocarditis or pericarditis or, or you had a stroke or something, then they might let you get out of the second dose or that you might at least delay that second dose. And uh, there was a, th- a third provision, but you know, I don't know where, because these things keep changing. But the mm-hmm. third provision was that you might be exempt if you're receiving treatment for an ongoing medical condition for which the vaccine is contraindicated. And these are now very few. Mm-hmm. And so these medical exemptions are very rare. Now, you can also apply for an exemption on the basis of religious uh, grounds or religion or creed. But again, very few of these will be and are being granted. And to get an exemption, you have to, I think at most universities, fill out a form on the university website. And then, as one of my friends put it, you have to click submit to see if you get your human rights. (laughs) And so what they've done, and we've pointed this out, I think, in a previous episode, is that they've suspended our human rights. And now we have to beg to get them back. We have to click something. We have to you know, create long rationales as to how our religion goes against these uh, mandates and against taking the vaccines. Uh, so we're really fighting now for our human rights, for getting them back. And now as things are unfolding, I'm learning that students, staff and faculty all over Ontario, that their exemption applications are being denied. And that's especially yeah. the case with religious exemptions submitted by Christians and particularly Catholics because of the weak statement that came out from the Vatican about this, because I think the Pope said he's all for vaccines and these COVID-19 vaccines. So the Catholics have a problem. And, and by the way, even medical exemptions, uh, medical exemption requests are being denied at this point. Yeah, I'm seeing the same thing here from, from my angle, from my perspective, Yeah, from the people I know. Now, here's what uh, Dr. Julie Panessi has to say on this one. There are a lot of interesting elements to this exemption situation. Uh, one is the question of it's so if it's a religious exemption, um, and if you're Catholic, for example, and the Pope has already encouraged, shall I say, vaccination, the oh, Catholics aren't having success mm-hmm. getting exemption for that reason. Uh, Protestants, I've also heard anecdotally, have had a hard time getting exemptions. Uh, the biggest success seems to come from um, sort of the Muslim and, and Eastern uh, religions, interestingly. Um, as a, uh, just a matter of fact, I have been, I mean, I'm in touch with a lot of people who have applied for them and then they tell me if they've had success or not. I, I can't detect much of a pattern. Um, it, it, you know, from the cheap seats, I, I don't know what the process looks like internally at the universities or in, you know, in the workplace, but it, there isn't a noticeable rational pattern in terms of, you know, what people are providing and, and what is being, what is being given in the medical context of people who are, are submitting medical exemptions, um, employers, including universities and colleges are in many cases, rejecting them. Yeah. Yep. See, so she says exactly what I've experienced and what, what the people I know uh, have experienced. Dave, I think what we need is a FOIA request asking the universities to provide all of the different applications and which ones were granted and which ones were rejected yeah, so exactly. that we can and do be, a, a proper study of this. Yeah. And it'd be nice to know who actually handled them, who actually did the decision making, right? Yeah. Who are these uh, people? You know, I'm worried that my career is in the hands of some co-op student. Well, and it could well be. 
<laughs> who knows? <laughs> it could well, it could well be. And you know, she's talking about the that the the, the the Muslims seem to have a better luck. My wife was listening last night to uh, the latest episode of the No Agenda Show, which um, I'm behind on, and uh, she said that apparently a bunch of Satanists in the U.S. got religious exemptions because apparently their doctrine has bodily autonomy as part of it. So there you go. <laughs> it seems to be in many ways that the Christians are being targeted here. Um, and I think it, I'll have a clip later that may suggest it may even be our own fault. But yeah, yeah. It, yeah you know, the, the, the craziest part of this, um, it, it, there's um, Vanessa Ecliptus. She has uh, she makes another comment in this um, mm-hmm. this one episode I got this from where she talks about that you can't get a, an exemption based on even if you're a scientist based on on scientific grounds. The one grounds on which you cannot successfully get an exemption is because you object to the science. Ah. The state is not allowing people to question or object to having a medical treatment on the basis of their concerns about the scientific validity. This is the, this is the crazy part. Yeah, we'll return to that, Dave, because we'll talk about mm. some of the evidence. And uh, it's actually quite compelling that these vaccines aren't doing what they've been advertised to do. So the scientific mm. grounds for exempting oneself are actually quite strong, but the, I, I think she's right on the money. They will not have it. And by the way, Dave, just very quickly, for our listeners, we're not suggesting that you join the Satanists to get out of the vaccine, okay? <laughs> yeah, Dave, I think that what we're seeing just, actually... Yeah, sorry. Just in case there was some ambiguity there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Dave, I think the whole concept of an exemption perpetuates what we can call an exemption fallacy. Mm-hmm. The fallacy is that by making provisions for exemptions... The assumption is that the vaccine mandates themselves do not violate the human rights code. But what seems to be lost on everyone is that our human rights code protects bodily autonomy. And the language they use is the security of the person. It protects the security of the person. Hmm. So you don't need an exemption or a justification for not taking the vaccine. The vax mandate itself, which entails punishing people who refuse the vaccine, violates human rights regardless of whether it includes an exemption provision mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. so uh we have to be very very vigilant here because the way the mandates are framed with an allowance for exemptions leads people to believe that at its core the mandates do not violate human rights but that's false the way this has been framed is very crafty and cunning yeah would this be an example of a fallacy? I'm, I'm thinking of the false premise fallacy. Yeah, I think you're exa- exactly right on this because I've been tracking the messaging on this throughout the fall. Yeah, okay, and here's a sampling of the news propaganda to um, to to adr- that they've been rolling out to try to sell this false premise mm-hmm. uh, to dismiss religious and human rights arguments for against the vaccine mandates. Right. So here's September for one, because of course we we heard about the mandate first coming down. What was it? The end of October, end of August, uh, end of August. Yeah. Uh, Right. And so uh, September 1, CTV News Truth Tracker, right? It's in the Truth Tracker section. Do vaccine mandates violate Canadians' charter rights? And of course, the whole thing is this, this, uh, the answer is no, but it, 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 there's a whole bunch of false, um, mm-hmm. premises that you have to accept in order to get there. September yeah. 7th, CTV News Truth Tracker again. Do COVID 19 vaccines violate the Nuremberg Code? So, you know, as, 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 
as people are rolling out arguments uh, yes. against uh, these mandates, the propagandists are already putting together articles. Again, false premises all over that thing. We don't really have time to analyze it right now. Mm -hmm. um, maybe mm -hmm. at some point. Uh, November 4th, National Post, opinion. Why refusing the vaccine isn't inherently Christian. Again, yeah. You read it and you have to buy into a few false premises in order to um, to be able to actually come to that conclusion. But but these are all based on that an idea and the propaganda just keeps rolling out to to sell the idea that, um, no, this is all legit above board. And unfortunately, it seems like much of the judiciary is also on board. And uh, so it's going to be very difficult to even to litigate this according to the charter because of yeah. the way our charter is structured, right? Yeah, the messaging is going out to give people, uh, essentially to frame the situation, right? And to mm -hmm. uh, provide mm -hmm. the arguments almost ahead of time uh, so that when somebody says, hey, this is violating basic human rights, which like obviously it is, um, they've already prepared people to have essentially arguments prepared uh, to uh, to combat their the basic understanding that most people would naturally have. Yeah, and, and Dave, I think there's a practical component to all of this to this exemption fallacy and that is that uh, as i mentioned before the exemptions are so narrow that they are virtually non-existent so in mm -hmm. some deeper sense the mandate violates many people's human rights even if you granted this whole exemption thing to be valid well they're just not giving out the exemptions right so in yeah. that sense it violates people's rights and uh i think practically uh, for religious exemptions the adjudicators require that you link your beliefs to an organized religion and show that the vaccines are against the organized religion's view and that this is also your deeply held and enduring view. And uh, this, I think, is where they get the Roman Catholics because the Pope has said that the COVID vaccines are fine, so they can't appeal to their organized religion. And uh, yeah, so the, here you have these co-op student adjudicators. I, I, I don't think actually that's probably true. They have, you know... <laughs> And like nurses or something else to make these adjudications, right? Or some administrator. But yeah, they just judge whether or not uh, it, it, these are deeply held convictions and whether or not they're tied to your organized religion. Right. I mean, that, that's the crazy part, right? It, it's uh, the, the charter is based on individual rights and, and the current approach is very collectivist. Like, Indeed. We, you yeah. have to tie your your personal beliefs to some organized organization and organized religion. Um, and if they don't sign on, then you don't get individual beliefs and rights. And like a friend of mine said, when um, his um, his union boss said, well, you know, given the, the, the implications on your career and your job, uh, maybe your religious views will change. Right. And, and he, and he responds, I thought, I thought the whole point of having religious freedom in Canada was that I don't have to justify my religious beliefs to, to you or anyone, yep. right. That I can just simply have them. And, and so, uh, this is, this is kind of crazy. And, you know, as I've been tracking this, um, the propaganda going on, there was a, and so on, back in September, September 8th in CBC News, they had an expert on, um, this guy It was the, is the head of the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, Michael Bryant. And so I mm -hmm. have this clip, it's a minute long, where the guy asks him basically, well, are these, uh, do COVID-19 vaccine mandates violate civil liberties? That was the, the, the general thing. And and would it be enough to to... If if um, if somebody was to claim religious uh, exemption, would it be enough to sur surmount the mandate? Mm -hmm. Okay, so they're already floating this out there. Now, listen, this is this is important because 
Um, I like what this guy says has been vastly completely ignored by most of our religious leaders. Let me ask you about religion. Are religious grounds under our charter a sufficient reason to to overcome all of these passport uh, or mandate requirements? I, I think the answer is yes, uh, that that would make the person in essence unvaccinatable, not for medical reasons, but instead uh, because of freedom of religion. But practically speaking in Canada uh, to date, we're not aware of any of the um, great world religions who have come forward and said, yeah, we've got a real problem with this. Uh, there, there are some religions in the United States, depends what a religion is, right? There, in the United States, this has become an issue, I believe. Mm -hmm. In Canada to date, we've not become aware of a religion that said that it's against the religion to be vaccinated. That's not to say that it might not come up. Uh, but uh, I think practically speaking, I do not think that's going to be an issue in Canada. So, you know, he says that it would actually qualify, that you would qualify for an exemption, but nobody's applying for those exemptions. That's um, kind of shocking, Dave. How, how come the churches aren't applying? How come the mosques aren't applying? Well, well, what's going on? I mean, this is, this is the part of, I think this is the messaging, because obviously we know, you and I know many people that are applying for religious exemptions and are being denied. But what's frustrating is the foot dragging um, that we are seeing in our leadership and the leadership, leadership of many denominations, yeah. right? That's that, what I was that, thinking uh, of. Yeah, the leadership. Now, now, like what what better opportunity? We have not on this show discussed in detail the the ethical issues surrounding the COVID nineteen vaccinations, right? So yeah. this is, I mean, I'm, I'm presupposing, but there are. Yeah. This is the what better opportunity to confess our intensely pro life position when you have a vaccine that has um, abortion is tainted with with abortion right when it's in its production and its manufacture so what better opportunity to, also what about what about asserting our our, our rights regarding religious conscience right? yeah that's a very um, biblical concept and not going against your conscience and, and, and so is in a in a way this idea of bodily autonomy because we're talking about uh, we're talking about treatments that are, are working on a genetic level. Right. right. So all these, mm -hmm. we haven't had all uh, many of these conversations, and never mind the fact that uh, as Christians we ought to resist in 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 the sense of standing up for freedom, for truth, right, mm -hmm. uh, against the tyranny that we're seeing in unfold and roll across the globe. So there, there's there's many opportunities, many ways to think about this, and and we do have to come back and do a a, a detailed breakdown of of these of uh, of of these points. I think at some point, um, Dave, probably it, already should have done it. But mm -hmm. go ahead. Yeah, it, it seems to me that the religious leaders have been caught off guard by this. And it's bizarre because they've had time to prepare. These genetic treatments have been on the books. They've been available in other domains for quite some time. Why hasn't there been some proactive thinking about this? They yeah, should already I, have statements ready to roll out. They should have been there before all this happened. Not now, you know, they're scrambling to put some weak statements together so that they don't offend maybe those in their congregations who've already been vaccinated. Yeah, and, and we actually have convention resolution, resolutions going back even 20 years that indirectly already reference this stuff. It's just that they're being ignored. Yeah. Uh, okay. And this this is <laughs> this is my own... It. Well, this is my own. I mean, this is yeah. This is this is the fight we're having um, in, internally. 
internally, right? And so maybe not mm. the best thing to air it here okay. uh, without giving it the full the full spectrum. But but the the problem is is that if we do not assert our our um, rights to conscientiously object religiously now, we may never be able to do it, right? Because because the messaging right now is, no, there is no religious, there is no legitimate religious objection for you. Yeah, that's okay? right. And, and Dave, um, it seems that those who are pro-vax mandates, they're the ones who get to decide what the exemption criteria are. Right. Yeah. Right. And I'm glad you brought us back to that because I wanted to make a point on that. And okay. and um, maybe you already did this, this idea that all of a sudden we have people that are completely unqualified judging my religious beliefs, my personal religious convictions. Yeah. And especially right? they're on the pro-vax mandate side. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. So, so it, it is, it is, uh, it's it's very concerning, and even if you're you know you fall into that camp where you think there's nothing going on, this is just the vaccine, and 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 this is our way out, whatever. I, I think you're wrong, but mm-hmm. um, you you ought to be concerned if you're a Christian that your rights now for to ever object in the future are being taken away. And I've got a a, a nice example here. This is from. Um, this is from Liz Wheeler, and she's on the uh, the Rubin Report. There's a there's a, a panel here. It's Liz Wheeler, Eric Metaxas, Sean Spicer on a roundtable, and this goes back to the end of October when she broke a story about uh, the what's going on in the U.S. military. Okay, about ah. their plan to not give out the exemptions, and in fact, talking to some of our chaplains and people that are well connected with our, our Canadian military, this is the exact same thing happening here. Okay, so listen to this. This is about two hours, two, uh, two hours, two minutes, 44 seconds. So it's a longer clip. But That's okay. it, it I'm interested makes... to hear it. Yeah, let's go. Liz, you helped break a story this week. You had an incredible Twitter thread that we'll, we'll show as you're discussing what happened. Uh, but the U.S. Navy has basically issued a blanket statement saying that they are not going to have or allow for any religious exemptions for the COVID uh, vaccine. Can you explain what's going on here? Yeah, it's super crazy, and it's obviously so disrespectful to our service members who've sworn an oath to defend our Constitution and our nation, our safety, and to treat those with religious opposition to the COVID-19 with such animus is horrible. But I've obtained documents showing that at least at one Navy command of over 2,500 people, and it looks like it's also at other Navy commands, um, there's a plan behind the scenes to issue blanket denials to service members' requests for religious exemption to the COVID-19 vaccine. Now, this is in violation of Navy policy. And remember, Navy policy, this isn't like a private sector company having mm-hmm. terrible uh, having terrible rules that they can change at any point. Military policy is the equivalent, essentially, to uh, military law. So there's a military policy that says when there's a religious exemption to anything, any religious accommodation, um, but especially as it relates to immunizations, that it has to be evaluated on a case-by-case basis. You can't just issue blanket denials. But the documents that I've uncovered show that um, they do plan, they actually have a template that they're using to issue, to plan to issue these denials. And the template isn't a template that includes, oh, here's you know the big picture and you can choose either yes, um, accept it or no denial. No, this template automatically defaults to denial. There's also, this is where it gets a little military weeds. There's also a very specific chain of command um, that you use in the military when you ha- when you request an exemption or a religious accommodation for a vaccine. 
And it appears, it appears, uh, we certainly need to ask the question whether this specific chain of command is being violated by other people who have an agenda to deny these vaccines, because we have evidence that there's pretty significant animosity or hostility towards people with religious views. Mm -hmm. Of course, the primary reason for requesting an exemption to this vaccine is an opposition to abortion and the fact that aborted fetal cell lines were used in the testing, at least, of the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines and the cells themselves are included in the J&J vaccine. And there's uh, evidence of hostility behind the scenes towards uh, pro-lifers in general and this viewpoint in general. So it certainly raises enough questions that should be, it should spark a congressional inquiry because service members are still allowed their religious freedom. In fact, the Supreme Court precedent here is that religious accommodations in the military should be granted when it's still possible to accomplish the goal of the military. And if it's not possible to accommodate them, then it should only be violated in the least restrictive means manner. And the burden is on the government to show that. And they are not rising to that burden here. Yeah. So, Dan, I think the point I want to make with this, and this is also happening in Canada here, I, I suspect there might be a template also behind the scenes that your co-op students are working on. There. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> in, in your thing. But like, if we simply allow the government to take the position that there are no valid religious exemptions on this issue, mm-hmm. um, then we shouldn't be surprised when in the future they're not going to allow for religious conscience. Then they're not going to allow. They're not going to. Um, they're not going to accommodate mm-hmm. any kind of religion's conscience conscience uh, exemption for anything. And so, for example, our doctors here in Ontario are having constantly to fight for the right to not defer patients to other doctors for abortion or to participate in, um, you know, um, um, euthanasia and these kinds of things. And it's it's a remote participation uh, of evil argument. We got to we have to come back to this one and talk about it a bit more. Um, Mm -hmm. They don't want to be they don't even want to be referring somebody. They just want to say, sorry, I can't provide that service to you. Period. Right. Yes. And and, and that's that is a valid, important um, right for them. But they are on the cusp of losing it. And and if we can simply allow the government to make these kinds of assertions uh, about what's legit on the religious front and what's not, then we shouldn't be surprised when it gets taken away. Yeah, there was a great there was a great article in the the uh, Canadian Center for Christian Charities where, leading up to our federal election this past fall, the the Liberal government, which unfortunately, um, once again, is our government, um, on their platform had this uh, this this statement that said uh, we're going to uh, defund those who. Um, Essentially, the way it was, was spread misinformation on abortion. So, we're going to example crisis pregnancy centers, right? right. Um, and so, essentially, they're going to defund whoever doesn't, uh, not defund, I should say, uh, they're going to uh, delist as charitable, delist, take away the charitable status of those organizations that don't agree with the government on their I- particular ideology regarding abortion. Mm-hmm. And so, and then the, the 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 this lawyer points out. He says, "Look, back in two thousand and nine, when the Hutterites in uh, forget what it was, Alberta, they 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 didn't want their picture on the driver's license because they just they're opposed to having their pictures taken. Yeah. Um, nobody cared, right? This was oh, this is stupid. Just you know, we don't care about your religion. Christians didn't stand up for it. Anything they they lost that right, and and it just keeps accelerating." Um, the, the 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 government's sense of what it can get away with on this front just keeps accelerating, and so 
if we don't stand up for conscience rights now to have a, a, a conscientious religious objection um, in, in this COVID scenario, then we shouldn't be surprised when those conscientious religious objections are, are disregarded in the future, whether it be for the physicians who, who do not want to participate in abortions or euthanasia by referring patients or some other conscience scenario that we cannot foresee right now um, due to our you know present short-sightedness, really. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, our, our, our failure to defend our religious rights now is going to make it harder or nigh impossible to lay claim to them in the future. Reminds me of the Niemöller, uh, famous Niemöller quote, right? First they came for, we could say, mm. the heterites, and uh, yeah. we did nothing. Then they came for the, the Roman Catholics, and we did nothing. And ultimately, there's nobody there left when they're coming after you, right? And Dave, I, I think, um, again, just want to highlight this issue that it's the collectivists who are mm-hmm. making decisions now about uh, what constitutes uh, valid exemptions for mm-hmm. our human rights. And so the fact that they're collectivists and that they're pro-vax <clears throat> mandate means that they actually have a conflict of interest. And I think we need to discuss it in these terms. They have a conflict of interest when making judgments about what are valid exemptions, right? Because they're not for individual human rights. They're collectivists. Yeah. And uh, we should call them out on this. Look, you can't make a judgment on this because you have a conflict uh, of interest. Yeah, you have a you have a ideological, philosophical, and I would say even religious position on this. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And so you're disqualified. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, we should get back to the uh, the medical exemptions as well, though, because okay. this is another front that's very troubling. And you mentioned that earlier that this this idea that the medical exemptions are so exceedingly narrow. Yes. Right now, I have an example um, of from Australia, and this is from uh, the Brett Weinstein Dark Horse podcast. Mm-hmm. And he interviews this woman from Australia who is who has a clear medical claim for an exemption, right? And that's okay. supposedly in Canada. That's like the 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 thing, right? That's your that should work. And same with Australia. If yeah. you have a medical, uh, if you if you simply don't qualify. Um, or if you have an allergy, then then you're good to go. And the rest of us are being told that that's why we're ta- having to take the vaccine is for those few people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, this woman's name is Betty uh, um, Presamenti, I think. Um, and she she's in the food industry. She operates a food truck. And it turns out that she has documented and severe anaphylactic reactions to several components of the vaccine. Yeah, okay? and, and, and she and, is... And, and Dave, that's... that's- you should get an exemption for that, right? That's one of the categories where if you if you have documented anaphylaxis, you should get an exemption. Okay. That's right. Exactly. And so she's trying to navigate the process, right? And she's yeah. still unable to procure a vaccine exemption in Australia. It's a, it's a riveting... Um, um, it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's a riveting one and a half hours of interview. Uh, it's a, it, I mean, it, you can it definitely recommend you watch it. Uh, I've got, I have a couple of clips from it, and okay. um, here's the first one. Yeah, so given that our mandates were coming in and every um, occupation being on the mandate list, I was like, well, if I don't have my exemption, I legally can't work in the state of Victoria. Um, now that's also gone across nationwide, so there's not any state I would be able to over the next few months given the mandates and again you are you are a caterer working out of a catering vehicle so yeah this is not uh, a situation where you're tending to 
patients indoors in enclosed spaces. You're working pretty close to outdoors with respect to your interface with anybody else. And yet you, yeah. you can't work without uh, proof of vaccination. No, I can't. Even if I'm in the space by myself and even if it's a door down operation and I'm just literally even doing click and collect or contactless um, delivery, I'm still not legally allowed to work. So this is perplexing, right? So now listen to how her doctor handles this whole thing. So I went to my doctor asking her to fill out this form. It's called the IMO11 form. She returned to me with saying, I can't give you the exemption due to legal liability. What? Wow. <laughs> huh. That's that's incredible. All right. So I, I still can't quite wrap my mind around any system that has so little discretion in it that someone whose story is as clear as yours and for whom the jeopardy is as severe as the jeopardy that you face can't get an exemption. Dave, it's yeah. very interesting that, that Brett says he can't wrap his head around a system that has so little discretion. And I really like the way he put that because what's happened is there are these hard-coded uh, mandates and restrictions that come from above and then mm. uh, the the individual that ultimately has to send out the letter or make the decision they really don't have much discretion because the answer is usually just deny <laughs> right? Uh, right and so yeah the fact that it's got little discretion I like i like the way he puts that well the the, the story the reason i say it's 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 riveting um the, the podcast is because it's 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 like a living example of uh, Vogon bureaucracy, you know, uh, this is Hitchhiker's uh, <laughs> Guide of the Galaxy reference, right? right. But, but I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's, 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 it's insane. You, 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 as you hear the interview unfold, you get more and more incredulous and that that's where, that's where Brett's at with this thing. Right. And, uh, or, or as you said, the whole problem is it's very Kafka-esque in, in, in the sense of like that, the, the novel, the trial where nobody, people are just executing orders from above. They're appealing to the fact that, no, I got to do this. This is what it's been. This is what, this is my orders from above. Yes. And, and her doctor is worried about the legal liability of giving out an exemption. So she would rather risk her patient's harm, uh, to give patients harm than give an exemption. Yeah. Right? This hey, is, by this the is way, insane. Yeah. I asked my doctor, uh, about getting an exemption, uh, for a medical thing that I have. And he, he basically said, no, I would lose my license. That's right. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> and, and we, we saw this in Ontario as well. Uh, in other places, there was a rebel news segment where a woman was interviewed, and she she suffered a, a corneal implant rejection, I think it was, because of the vaccine. And her doctor, her eye doctor, uh, I forget which specialist it was, told her that this is a possibility ahead of time, but then she went and wouldn't give her an exemption, so she went and did it, and then... Uh, suffered the implant rejection and oh, now man. her doctor's saying well um first of all he wouldn't give it because well we're, we're not allowed to we're told not to give out any and and then um she now he's changed his tune and saying well it could be many other things it, it wasn't the vaccine right? that's right they always um, deny the fact that the vaccine could have caused something yep yeah, or or one of my members here who is um is about my age and uh, he's he's had heart issues all his life. So when I got here, you know, back in 06, he was just coming off a of surgery or heading into surgery to get some valve work done, right? At a, a very young age and and then re more recently suffered, I think it was a 
congestive heart failure as a result of a, a parasite oh. and then had a whole recovery of that recovered fairly well and so he goes to his cardiologist uh, thinking you know this is I'm not a candidate for this because of the myocarditis risk and the, the cardiologist says well you know we know how to treat myocarditis the so no <laughs> uh, you can't we don't know how to treat COVID-19 <laughs> so get the vaccine uh, and, and this is like insane right like my he 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 is if anyone's gonna suffer permanent damage unalterably yeah. um yeah. it's it's him those heart cells they don't just spontaneously come back of course as they easily know. as people imagine I know, yeah. and you, you don't, you don't, the, especially the children, right? You don't, there's no such thing as, oh, it's just mild myocarditis, pericarditis. No, 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 no. This mm -hmm. is lifelong damage that you're talking about here. And the doctors, because of the, the way that they've been stepped on, are simply dismissing it. Hey, yeah. I've got one more clip from uh, Pesamanti here. Why don't we play that before we move on? Okay, sounds good. Two amazing facts already on the table. One, the idea that legal liability actually causes someone not to want to give you the exemption, which is, of course, the exact inverse of what you would expect, right? The fact that your life will be placed in jeopardy by taking such a vaccination. If there's any place where there should be legal liability, it would be that. A practitioner that failed to give you the exemption is putting your life in, in jeopardy. And yet, yes. there is some other kind of jeopardy that frightens this practitioner even more. And then as you go to the authority that you're told is the only authority who can grant the exemption, you're told it will take 12 months, did you say? 12 to 24 months, yeah. A year to two years, during which time you will not be able to work. I wouldn't be able to work and participate in like many facets of society as well. Dave, this supports what I said earlier about that, that practical uh, a mm -hmm. fallacy with these exemptions right um so because it's virtually impossible to get an exemption yep so yeah that's that's part of the whole falsehood of this exemption framing yeah exactly and and also the falsehood of this narrative that's been in the news for forever now um about go talk to your doctor talk to your trusted physician right well you can't trust your doctor if they, if their hands are tied behind their back and they can just go, mm, you know, yep. their lips sewn up on anything that's related to the vaccine. Like, you know what your doctor is going to say, what they have to say, what they've been compelled to say. So how can you, it's, it's a nonsense to all go, if you have, if you have misgivings, go to, to talk to your doctor. I might as well just go and go watch one of those propaganda videos that they're putting out on every, you know, all these other things, because well, that's what I'm going to get. Yeah. This is all part of it, right? That, the people that you would normally interact with, they start stonewalling you and they're stonewalling mm -hmm. you because they're under pressure from above. So yep. th there's no way that this is one of the big problems I find actually trying to deal with these vaccine mandates and appealing things um, is that you can talk to the lower level people. They stonewall you and the higher level people just won't respond often. Uh, mm -hmm. So you're just kind of stuck. And, and by the way, just one other quick point is that mm -hmm. with with regard to these vaccines, notice that your doctor can't, isn't, can't give you the vaccine. It's got to be some sort of a clinic somewhere. And that's because I suspect that if he actually had to inject it into your arm, there he would have feel a little bit more responsibility. Yeah, uh, that's actually a really good point. It, it's offloaded uh, from mm -hmm. the, the patient-doctor relationship and given to some nameless uh, you know, nurse in some clinic somewhere or in uh, Costco 
or <laughs> your uh, local pharmacy, right? Mm -hmm. And right, uh, so right. they have no relationship with you, so they're just going to have no problem injecting you, even if even if you you don't want it. That's right. And so it becomes even difficult to have that conversation about, I want you to aspirate and all that kind of stuff, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. Which is, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll put the link in the show notes there to, uh, on that if anybody wants to chase that down. But mm -hmm. Dan, I was, um, I was reminded of a clip we played and I, I just pulled it from the last episode here um, that I think this is the Trudeau flip-flop clip that was on Dave Rubin. It was, it's a compilation. So the stutter in there is, is intentional, remember? And, and it reminds me that, yeah, you know what? You know why it's difficult, if not impossible, to get these exemptions? Because that was the plan all along. Indeed. What do you do with someone with an allergy? What do you do with someone uh, who's immunocompromised? So, sorry, this is the, the first 18 seconds or so is, is Trudeau before, and then about 18 seconds in, it clicks into Trudeau after, once he's flipped into vaccine must-have mode, right? Mandate mode. So, mm -hmm. it's a good reminder of the flip-flop. Yeah. I'll, play it, I'll just start it again compromised or someone who for relig religious or uh you know deep conviction deep conviction deep convictions uh <laughs> decides that no they're not going to get a vaccine we're not a country that makes vaccination mandatory for That'd example be nice, uh, that anyone wishing to travel on a plane or a train be vaccinated there's a flip. and exemptions whether they're medical exemptions or otherwise will be exceedingly narrow specific and to be honest, somewhat onerous to obtain. There you the go. The goal is to make sure that everyone uh, who can chooses to get vaccinated. But let me say that um, simply having a personal conviction that vaccines are bad will not be nearly enough uh, to qualify for an exemption to that. Simply having a personal. Yeah, but just so it's a repeat because of the the way the supercut is done. But yeah, yeah, no, any kind of conviction, whether it be scientific conviction or religious conviction or whatever, we don't care. You have a choice, and the choice is get vaccinated. Right? Exactly. Back to uh, <laughs> makes me think of our discussion in the in the previous episode about what it means to have freedom of choice. Right yeah, when you're faced yeah. with a punishment like losing your job, it's not freedom of choice, Dave. Yeah. I think what's happening before our eyes with these vaccine mandates is akin to a military move called the pincer movement. Have you ever heard mm. of the pincer movement? Yeah, that's that's actually a good analogy, I think. Yeah, so just for uh, our young listeners, here's the Oxford Dictionary definition of pincer movement. Quote, a movement by two separate bodies of troops converging on the enemy, and also used in reference to a situation involving pressure from two different sides or forces. And of course, it's been used in warfare uh, throughout history. You know, most recently, the Nazis would use that with their panzer tanks, essentially come at their enemy from multiple sides. So I think the vaccine free are being attacked from several different sides simultaneously in what could be considered a pincer movement. So here's what I'm thinking. University administrators that I've interacted with point to two motivating factors for their vaccine mandate okay so one point of attack is top down okay top down mm -hmm. from the office of the chief medical officer of health health which is part of the ministry of health and they issued instructions for a vaccine mandate on university campuses okay and we'll put a link to the show notes so that's the top down attack one side of the pincer now the other attack comes the other pincer is from is bottom up Okay, with faculty, students, and staff 
petitioning university administrators to implement a vaccine mandate. And this has been done. At one university, over 600 faculty members signed such a request. Uh, and in, in uh, various places, it might be spearheaded by faculty associations or faculty unions. Okay, So you have these two different points of attack. Now, there's another point to be made here. In the top-down attack emanating from the Minister of Health, we see a progressively more restrictive policy emerging as we go down the chain of command. Okay, so what do I mean? Well, the medical officer recommended that universities give students and employees, I, I think in, in their terms, it was called uh, required individuals, three options. Okay, so first of all, a proof of full vaccination against COVID-19 or a written proof of a medical uh, reason provided by a physician or registered nurse. Okay, so that's two. Or, okay, so this is an or, proof of completing an educational session approved by the covered organization, so the university, about the benefits of COVID-19 vaccination prior to declining vaccination for any reason other than a medical reason. Okay, so mm -hmm. there's this third option for essentially education. But then the medical officer goes on to say in the document, a covered organization may decide to remove the option set out in paragraph 1C. So that education option, the education session, the re-education mm -hmm. program, you can remove that if you're a university. So they gave the universities leeway to opt out of the re-education session and the universities took them up on it and now most don't provide that option. Okay, And so here's the important point. The universities implemented the strictest possible policy based on the chief medical officer's mandate. Okay, They yeah. removed option C, right? Surprise, surprise. Yeah. And when we question the university administration about the mandate, they say they are just following orders from the medical officer, which is true, but it's completely misleading because they could have given us option C. So, yeah. so I guess we could say that there are several components to the pincer movement. So first of all, you've got this, uh, you got people being corralled into vaccination from the faculty associations and the unions uh, because uh, in this bottom-up way, because they're requesting everybody be vaccinated. And then there's this move from above, which I mentioned, university mm -hmm. administration applying stricter versions of the medical officer's recommendations. And third, we can also add that the medical bodies are putting the screws to doctors, as, as we've mentioned um, in the Brett Weinstein example, so that they don't provide the exem exemptions. And uh, if they do, as Panessi says, the universities just overrule them anyways. Okay, And there are very few religious exemptions being granted, as Panessi points out. So, you see, there are these multiple points of attack. The vaccine-free are being attacked from every direction so that no one can leak out and remain unvaccinated. And the whole point, by the way, of a pincer attack is that the enemy can't leak out in any direction, right? So you you want yeah, to box yeah. them in. The yeah. vaccine-free are being boxed in. Yeah, I think I agree with you, Dan. Um, there's, um, maybe we can leave this off to another podcast, but there's, uh, there's a great article in the Brownstone Institute talking about the five stages of totalitarianism. And I've been, I've been, collecting examples that fit into those things. And I, I absolutely agree with you. This is exactly what's happening. Um, there is this pincer movement and in some countries it's worse than others. And we're certainly not very seeing hopeful uh, trajectories happening here in Canada. 
Yeah. And the reason I like the term pincer movement is because it's a military term that shows a certain degree of planning and premeditation right. um, as, coordination. You, as you coordinate an attack. And mm -hmm. I think that's exactly what's happening here. We will not conform, even in the darkest propaganda storm. You are listening to the Not Conformed Podcast with your hosts, Dan and Dave. You are being deprogrammed. You are listening to Dan and Dave, and we are discussing the tyrannical vaccine mandates that are sweeping throughout our Canadian universities. So, Dan, well, you and I have been discussing off the air all this pressure that is mounting on you yep. um, from colleagues and from administration to get the jab. And I think it might be useful if you're willing to talk about a little bit of this on the air, what, what, what's going on and how that's affecting you and, and students and all that stuff. Yeah. Well, the pressure is certainly there. It's, it's, you know, coming from the university administration, it's coming from some colleagues. Um, fortunately I'm, I'm actually really blessed with the, the students in my lab who, who, who are absolutely fantastic about this whole thing. Uh, but there are other students who really want, who really support these vaccine mandates, right, outside of my lab. So yeah, yeah. it's coming from every direction. And I got to tell you, Dave, over the last two months, um, university administration has been dripping out a relentless series of of escalating threats, vaguely mm. stating what will happen to us if we're not vaccinated or have an exemption by various deadlines. And, you know, they're threatening us with suspension. They're threatening us. They're threatening students with expulsion and, and termination for, for, for staff and faculty. So it's hardcore. Our livelihoods and our education for the students is on the line. And you mm. know what? I can totally understand why people submit and get the jab. You know, I, I, I can't judge anyone for vaxxing up under these circumstances because it's either submit to the jab or lose your education or your career. If you, if you think about it, in my case, I'm the primary uh, income earner in my household. I got, you yeah. know, five kids. What, what do I do if I, if I lose this job? It's going to be very difficult for me to get a job in this industry because the vaccine mandates are everywhere. Um, and my expertise is so specific. Uh, it's just, it's just so grim. The pressure is, is so high, Dave. I feel cornered. You know, there was actually mm -hmm. a time when, when I, I had applied for exemptions and uh, I was being rejected. And for, for the first time in a, in a very long time, maybe for the first time in my life, I felt completely boxed in. Like I was in mm -hmm. a cage. Like I was a caged animal. And uh, it's just such a terrible feeling to have. It's total psychological 
warfare. Okay. Yeah. Because the pressure is continuous and unrelenting. They just want total submission. And Dave, I've received emails from faculty, staff, and students who are trying to resist this tyranny. And these emails are gut wrenching and heartbreaking. Um, you know, I, yeah, they had me in a corner, Dave, uh, with these mm-hmm. mandates. I had they had me in a corner. My sleeve was rolled up, and so far, I've been able to maneuver and buy myself some time with the help of uh, some blessed individuals uh, that came into my life. Uh, but it's crazy, man. I, 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 I've, I. This is a, this kind of pressure I have never experienced in my entire life. Yeah. Dave, I, what shocked me the most throughout this whole process is just how cold and cruel faculty and staff in, in administration at the university can be. Okay. Mm-hmm. And these are people who would normally pr- profess tolerance and inclusivity and human rights. But when it comes to this, they are cold, cruel, and calculating. Um, and, and it seems that many academics have wholly bought into the collectivist worldview um, in which they, I think Mm. they believe that the collective trumps individual rights. And uh, as you know, many academics are strongly left-leaning and some of them are actually outright Marxist. So they like and support collectivism and this kind of paternalistic governmental control. And I'm sad to say that academia is filled with fearful, insecure, conformist, obedient, naive normies. (laughs) (laughs) Normies is one of my new friends says, who believe that the epistemic establishment, which they are a part of, will save the world. And I like the concept of herd immunity here because it's apt. It seems that academics move like a herd of animals, even if they're going over a cliff. And if you're not on board, well, you're out of the herd. And I'm kind of glad I am because it does seem like <laughs> they're going to be going over the cliff. <laughs> Dan, let me interject here with a paragraph from uh, Dr. Janice Fiamengo, the article we talked about earlier. Yeah. Um, she sums it up this way. It's very similar to what you just said. Uh, this is the new university, fully collectivist and tyrannically indifferent to individual rights of conscience or choice. Yes. Um, Over the past 30 years, the progressivists infiltrated and took over the academy, their ruthless determination always under the cover of benign rhetoric about inclusion and safety should always have been evident. Now, its vaunting brutality is unmistakable. Dave, she nails it again. And the, the key point that she makes here is, she says, over the past 30 years or something, did you say that? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah that this has been actually building, okay? This is not something that just came out of nowhere, out of left field because we're in a pandemic. It's been building and it's almost Mm -hmm. as if the pandemic was the opportunity for this to flower and come to its full fruition. Yeah, 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 Dan, I think you're right. I think you're right. Here's a key point, Dave. These vaccine mandates are effectively creating an ideological purge of independent thinkers from our epistemic institutions, our universities, Mm -hmm. healthcare settings, and government. In addition, because mandatory vaccination clauses are already placed in new hiring contracts, and I've seen this myself, they are building an ideological fence around our epistemic institutions, around our institutions of knowledge. So anybody that's going to be hired has to already have submitted to vaccinations. And yeah, that's right. because they're now vaccinating the children, 
they're also creating early ideological conformity. So what we will end up with on the other side of COVID is a more homogenous, obedient, uh, and compliant epistemic establishment full of people who will be less likely to go against the grain because they are conformist and because they've seen what happens if you resist, right? You get thrown out of the herd. And uh, I think that this is one important precondition of totalitarianism. So they're preparing for totalitarianism. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point, Dan. In fact, that might be a great show title, Ideological Purge. Yeah, I think it, I, I like that. Ideological Purge. Good title. Yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. Some have actually said that this is what China is the way this is because they've they've done this purge um, generations ago, and and so they have actually just in terms of even genetically agreeable, more agreeable population to allow more totalitarianism to take place. Yeah, see, uh, it's see, worth Dave, exploring. Yeah, see, yeah, because see, everybody now in the system is is collectivist, and the few of us who are not collectivists are getting squeezed out. Right. No, so, and Dan, yeah. you should you should pull some of those early research studies with Milgram and the, the other stuff that, yes. that talks about this this whole the, the personality traits and just the the um, the percentages of people that are likely to do to conform this way. Because we should we should go back to that. And that's yeah. like Psych One A Six stuff, but but there's there's more to it, and we should maybe revisit that in some later episode. Yeah, I'll definitely prepare something for later episodes. Yeah, now look, there, there's another thing that's going on here, and mm-hmm. this is what we could call the offloading of risk, or maybe the transfer of risk. Okay. There's a rationale underlying the vaccine mandates, and that's this generally this idea of reducing risk of a bad outcome from COVID. Right? Yes, that's and right. So uh, COVID mainly threatens the elderly, um, and and uh, they're they're the ones that um, that will experience the risk from COVID. Dave, um, Dave, what because COVID is ageist. <laughs> yeah. so the elderly at highest risk yes indeed right the elderly and and the obese right <laughs> that's right <laughs> that, that that's just the facts right yeah. uh, and so what we're do, do what's happening is okay we'll, we'll protect the elderly but then we're transferring the risk onto the young people because mm. now they have a much higher negative outcome risk from the vaccines yeah and very low risk from covid right for them it's just a thing they low can to kick. none yeah, right? The right. younger you are, there, there really is almost no risk yeah. unless you have all kinds of other um, attendant health issues, right? Mm-hmm. And so, look, this 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 is a transfer of risk, not only from the older to the younger, yeah. but also a transfer of risk, if you think about it, from those who have more power or who have power to those who do not. Dave, listen, you, this is a great framing because if you think about the left, right, they're always talking, they're always framing everything in terms of uh, power dynamics. Power. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's the Marxist idea, right? And yeah. so, I mean, that's why I put it that way because because I that's what it. it is, right? And and look, we've never done this before as a society. No. As, as a parent or as a grandparent, you may sacrifice yourself to preserve the future of your children for your children. For sure. Right? Um, but we're doing societally exactly the opposite. We're fa- sacrificing the future health of our children uh, and the future uh, uh, economic viability of our society with the lockdowns, yeah. um, right, um, in order um, to allegedly preserve the lives of the grandparent and great-grandparent generation um, 
And, yes. and remember, uh, and I say allegedly because remember in Canada in 2020, at least the average COVID death uh, age was at or above the average life expectancy of that province. Yes. Okay. And now they want to even jab like the little ones, right? From, from two, two to 12. Now they want to push it down there, even to babies. That's the, that's the goal who are virtually at no risk of dying from COVID. Or, or having any long-term effects from COVID, as far as we know. I, I remember yeah. uh, some data showing uh, that young people, like teens, especially males, were up to maybe six times more likely to experience heart problems from the vaccine mm-hmm. relative to experiencing that from COVID. So that's right. That's right. That's right. Exactly. And and, and Ontario just had their first, like in the last couple of weeks, their first little, you know, I forget what the age was. It was a very young age, like two year old myocarditis case after they opened the possibility to having that age group jabbed. Right. Terrible. So, so, and, and this is, this is given the fact that the trials for the pediatric trials will not be over until at 2025. Yeah, it's experimental, Dave. And think about this. This is great business strategy for the pharmaceutical companies, right? Because they have the population on a subscription model, as someone has said before, (laughs) which guarantees continued income while everybody's sacrificing. And people say, we're all in this together. We have to make sacrifices. Well, it seems like some of us are more in this together than others because the pharmaceutical companies are making off with tens of billions of dollars. And so are their executives. It's amazing. Yeah, and you simply have to follow the money. This is not you can't you can't just say oh conspiracy. No, 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 no. You follow the money, yeah. and that is a legitimate way to analyze these things. And look, Pfizer um, stands to. I'll put a link in the show notes from Yahoo News. Pfizer expects to make nearly as much revenue from COVID nineteen vaccines in twenty twenty one as it earned in all of twenty twenty. Okay, holy Here's crap! Yeah. Here's a quote. <laughs> Quote, Pfizer expects to make nearly as much revenue just from COVID-19 vaccine sales alone in 2021 as it earned in all of 2020, the drug maker said on Tuesday. The company said it expects revenue from vaccines to be $36 billion, billion. With a B. <laughs> yeah, with a B. By the end of 2021, right? Up from an estimated $33.5 billion the company has predicted earlier in the year. In 2020, it brought in $41.9 billion in total revenue, right? So so what we're looking at, and, and I was listening to something, and I don't have the link, the reference, so I'm not sure, I can't verify this at this point, but somebody said that the minute that the, the Pfizer was approved for the pediatric, for the, the younger children, the, uh, the top Top stakeholders, their value just went up by like nine billion, right? This is uh, big Pfizer. money. This so, is big so money. We're, we're we're talking about a serious, serious uh, mo- incentive here yeah. to companies that have no risk to themselves because they've been completely indemnified. You, they can kill you with the thing, and they cannot be sued in any way, shape, or form by anyone. That's right. And do you think right. Fauci will ever be sued for his role in all of this? Mm-hmm. Probably yeah, he's not. Away with it, but. Well, read the Kennedy book and then pass along the Kennedy book. That's right. Because right? then maybe because we can at the, marshal at the very enough least, resistance so that people get together and actually try to sue the guy. That's right. That's right. I mean, at the very least, he needs to be tried in the court of public opinion, right? That's right. Um, Dave. And, and go ahead. Our universities, um, the vaccine mandates, I think, are doing exactly what you're saying. They're transferring risk from the institutions, which don't want the risk of an outbreak. Uh, for instance, and they're transferring the risk on to students by forcing them to take the vaccines. Um, and 
you know, although very unlikely to suffer any negative side effects from COVID, these young people can experience life-altering negative effects from the vaccine, such as myocarditis. And so again, and, and also I would say that some of the university professors who are all in support for these vaccine mandates, they're worried about themselves, right? They don't want to be around all these infectious young people. So again, they're transferring the risk from themselves onto the young people. This dynamic, I think, that you've identified, I think applies to the university context as well. Yeah. And you got to remember, people actually believe this stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I have uh, one of my sons has uh, decided to go to high school this year. Uh, great year to do it, right? <laughs> and, and his math teacher tells him, "Well, I don't want to take, I don't want to take at home any paper. You have to do everything digital because I have two little children at home and they're uneligible to for the vaccines." Yes, <laughs> right. I mean, the people they they at this point they believe this. And notice, um, and, it's also driving everything to the digital realm. Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah, and we'll have to talk about that whole this this whole um, you know how we get how how does a population get into this mindset where we believe this this uh, uh, really against the data delusion at some point. Yes, um, yes, we'll definitely have to get into that. So, Dan, is any is anybody speaking out against this stuff? I, I, you know, it, what what's uh, in your circles? You mentioned that there's a few faculty members that are resisting, but I, I'm asking this because th- there's an interesting, um, another interesting little paragraph from that uh, Fiamenti article. Fiamengo, uh, sorry, Fiamengo, yeah, Fiamengo article. Um, how COVID nineteen killed academic tenure in the pipeline, and and she writes this: um, the mere evocation of safety is now enough to authorize firings without investigation on grounds not covered by any faculty members collective agreement and notably without public protest from faculty associations bodies which once once existed solely to protect the working conditions and rights of faculty members Outside of Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union, this is an unprecedented situation so far being greeted with stunning silence from the professoriate, end quote. And so, I mean, can you give us a sense of what's... Uh, I know some of this you have to... You, you can't be fully transparent because you don't want to... Um, I'm flying under the, the radar. The table. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And But but what can you say about this? Uh, uh, is she right? How, how's this going down? Yeah. Well, there are a few of us that have formed a resistance, uh, especially here in Southern Ontario, and a number of professors and groups of professors have written open letters to their administrations, um, and some of these have been openly circulating uh, and have made it to the public. But uh, I'm sad to say that these have mostly fallen on deaf ears when it comes to the universities. Mm-hmm. I think Fiumengo is right in that the vast majority of faculty are all in with the vax mandates. And in fact, many faculty called for vaccine mandates on campus. And as far as I know, the faculty associations and unions are mostly in full support of the vaccine mandates. So, you know, the the faculty are mostly all in. Yeah, yeah. And and actually, Dan, do you have a clip from uh, that speech by uh, Dr. David Haskell? Uh, I think you sent that to me. He gave this public speech. It was really good. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, let me just find it here. Dr. David yeah, Haskell. So yeah, he's, he's the media prof at Wilfrid Laurier, I think, right? That's correct, yeah. And uh, he has this great speech in which he 
was addressing the students who were de-enrolled from their courses because they either didn't comply with the vaccine mandate or, or they applied for exemptions and were denied and so on. So this has happened and he gave this great speech. Uh, here's a two minute clip. What many mm-hmm. people don't realize is that the word apocalypse comes from the Greek and it literally means to uncover or to remove the veil. This experience of COVID, this COVID mandate has pulled away the veil that hid the true face of your government and the true face of the media and the true face of your professors and university administration. And the true face behind that veil is ugly, isn't it? For those students here tonight, those who were now banned from campus, in your previous classes, did you have professors who talked about social justice and inclusion and equality at every opportunity? Did they make it sound like they were committed to fighting and protecting the vulnerable? Well, where are those professors now? At Laurier, where I'm employed, only three full-time professors out of over 550 have publicly called for an end to this discrimination and abuse of our students. Where are the others? There are a handful of professors here tonight from the University of Guelph, Waterloo, maybe a few others. These professors here tonight have stood by you. They've openly challenged their universities on your behalf and they've put their careers at risk. But where are the others? The apocalypse arrived and all those professors who swore up and down that they're pro-student and pro-inclusion and pro-social justice, they abandon you. Where are they? An apocalypse is an uncovering. And the vast majority of your professors have been uncovered as cowards, hypocrites, and petty tyrants. They had a choice. Yeah, he really nails it. Eh? You can tell that he's a, he's a media professor and that he's a gifted public speaker. <laughs> no, that's, it's, I, think, I think that, that is, uh, is, is fantastic. And we'll put the link in the show notes. Yeah, he gives a whole that wants to watch that. Yeah, he gives a whole great talk there, and and there are some interviews uh, with him and Julie Panessi out now, and I think mm-hmm. Rebel News as well. So everybody should go and uh, take a look at those. But yeah, there are some faculty in the resistance. Uh, we're we're trying to come together. We're trying to organize a little bit. And I got to mm-hmm. read a letter for you, Dave. Uh, the letter of noncompliance written by Professor Michael Palmer uh, to his good. chair and dean. And uh, for those who don't know, Michael Palmer. Uh, has really been speaking out against these vaccine mandates and and shining the light on the potential dangers of these vaccines. Actually, he was one of the early ones to it, it, to do that. Is, is he the ones? Is yeah. he the chem? chem yeah, prof? that's right. Yeah. The, so he has talks expert- about the toxicity of the um of the, the vaccine lipids. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yep, that's right. Right. Uh, and he he basically argues that uh, the toxicity will build up in your system yep. uh, over the successive shots. And so you know, as as you get more and more shots, the, the more damage is going to they're going to incur. So, ah, it's frightening. But listen to this. So this is, uh, you know, dear, you know, president of his university and his dean and so on. He starts by saying, comrades. <laughs> so he, he addresses them as comrades. And then he says, this letter is to inform you that I categorically refuse to comply with any of the COVID vaccine related mandates imposed on its employees by the University of Waterloo. And then he's got a list. One, I will not declare my COVID vaccination status Although you may be able to guess, see also point three below. Two, 
I will not attend any of the virtual COVID re-education camps <laughs> organized by UWs or the province's quack doctors and public health shamans in chief. <laughs> As an MD with board certification in medical microbiology, I consider myself sufficiently informed on the subject. Three, I will not let myself be injected with any of the ineffective and poisonous concoctions that are misrepresented to the public as COVID vaccines. (laughs) Four, I will not ask for any accommodation or exemption because doing so would only legitimize the lawless measures imposed by UW officials. Five, I will not play for time by asking for medical leave due to distress or anxiety. I thankfully am in good health and retain my usual capacity for work. I fully expect that my decision will result in sanctions against me, as spelled out in the weekly reminder so thoughtfully sent by our UW communications. Quote, employees will be subject to progressive remedial action ranging from actions such as changes to require duties, placement on leave, and or other sanctions up to and including termination of employment. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And then he goes on. These threats will not induce me to change my mind, nor do I expect this letter to change yours. My reasons for writing is simply to give you some time to decide how you will deal with two classes which I'm currently teaching. Should the UW Revolutionary Council <laughs> have resolved that all <laughs> refuseniks must be relieved of their duties immediately after the vaccination deadline, that is halfway through the term, then it will be best if you immediately start looking for someone to take over my classes. And, uh, you know, he goes on and uh, near the end, he, you know, had permission and he does include some quotes from uh, faculty and students and staff members about what they're experiencing going through this. And, you know, they are, we'll we'll put a link to this so that people can uh, read them, but he is so funny. I know in another letter, Dave, (laughs) uh, you know, great, it'd be a great show title or episode title, uh, rant of the refuse Nicks. rant of the refuse Nicks. That's right. Um, Yeah. In another letter, (laughs) because they were threatening to basically, you know, shut him down just before his exams. And he's like, how are students going to, how are you going to, or how are you going to determine students' grades? Maybe you've got some new revolutionary technique, like taking the number of voluntary vaccinations and multiplying that by 33. (laughs) And it's so good because voluntary vaccinations, right? The number of voluntary, because they're not voluntary, really, they're coerced. And then the number 33, which we know in in the occult circles has a special meaning, right? So it's just so funny. (laughs) Oh, Dave, we have to... uh, Give Dr. Palmer our not conform show salute. Absolutely. We salute you at the not conform show. <laughs> we, need, we need that cannon. <laughs> you got to get that cannon. Yeah. Uh, well, they have there, happen. there are a number of profs actually in Southern Ontario universities who are res- resisting the mandates, <clears throat> including vaccinologist Dr. Byron Bridal. And this guy was famous until he started to uh, shine the light on the potential dangers of these vaccines. And, you know, yeah. he's been kicked off of campus. Uh, there's also um, Dr. Bonnie Millard, who is a decorated immunologist. I think she, you know, her career spans like 30 years. She's at University of Guelph. And she, too, is raising an alarm about all this. Dr. David Haskell, who we uh, just featured moments ago. Dr. Will McNally from Wilfrid Laurier, who's written about this. 
And uh, even though he himself is vaccinated, he strongly argues against the vaccine mandates. Um, and by the way, the, these UW, these uh, WLU guys, Wolf and Loria guys, are featured on a podcast hosted by Liberty Coalition Canada. So, Dave, if you could uh, kindly add that into the show notes so people can yeah. uh, take a look. They did a great reek on that podcast. There was one episode where she and I forget who else plus the host did this deconstruction of one of these propaganda um, videos that you have to watch uh -huh. uh, mm -hmm. when you're not unvaccinated it's in some places weekly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they did a great, they know they did a really good job. And what he, when he says, what, how does he say the, uh, the, you know, the public provinces, medical public hacks, or how does he put it in the, in the, Oh, in the letter, in the, uh, uh yeah. quacks, quacks. He, he's, yeah. Like it's very important to understand. They go through the, the whole idea of, I think it's Brian Bridal and Julie Ponesi actually that talk about yeah. uh, these propaganda videos. It's a great episode. I'll make sure that there's a link to that one in the show notes. Quack um, doctors and public health shamans in chief. That's right. That's it. That's it. Exactly. Hey, Dan, yeah. um, I, I, I think what he should have done was he should, he should, the multiplier should be 22. Okay. Cause that way you need four vaccines to get up into no, the no, 80s. No, 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 no. Voluntary because vaccines? It was in season. It was in season 22 of the Simpsons <laughs> that they did. <laughs> it was in, oh. back in 2010, that episode about the, with the house cat flu. Okay. <laughs> that sounds funny, but I haven't seen that one. Well, no, we, we played a, a, a part of this clip and I promised to play the second oh, half okay. of the clip. Like this was back in episode, I don't know where it was like 26 or something like that. Right. Okay. So I just pulled it up okay. um, and it's a, it's a two minute clip, but I, I, I got to tell you, Dan, it's not even funny anymore because this is this, okay. This went on live in 2010, this, this episode. Okay. okay. Listen to this two minute segment. Mm -hmm. I'd like to call to order this secret conclave of America's media empires. We're here to come up with the next phony baloney crisis to put Americans back where they belong in dark rooms glued to their televisions too terrified to skip the commercials. Well, I think... NBC, you are here to listen and not speak. I think we should go with a good old-fashioned public health care. Yeah. A new disease. No one's immune. It's like the summer of the shark, except instead of a shark, it's an epidemic. And instead of summer, it's all the time. That great, great idea. Now, I hate to be the guy who derails what everybody else loves. He loves being that guy. But, Janice, we do have standards. This can't be a made-up disease. The only moral thing to do is release a deadly virus into the general public. We do have something we've been holding on to, but it hasn't been tested. Get over here, NBC. Uh, well, well, we certainly believe in testing, but I, oh, oh. wow, wow. So NBC yeah. drops dead so here. We've got our deadly disease. Now we just have to blame it on something that's in every household, something that Bats. people are a little bit afraid of already. House cat flu is coming, people. <laughs> Center for Disease Disinformation predicts with some degree of probability that the house cat flu might spread in the following hypothetical outbreak pattern. So better beware that warm body on your lap just might be ready to destroy your tender fiddles. Springfielders are advised to stay tuned for more information if they experience any of the following symptoms. Mild thirst, occasional hunger, tiredness at night. Hurry up, boy! We have to burn everything the cat touched before we make us paranoid! Stop burning! They have a vaccine! Ah, there you go. All right, we'll get the vaccine. Don't worry, people. We have enough vaccines for 
One child per family. Oh, I don't even have a kid that I admit Please to use your time in line wisely to Sophie's Choice, your child. <laughs> it goes on. It's like, a, I don't know, three minutes or hey, something Dave, that segment. <laughs> Dave, I love that line. Some degree of probability may dot, 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 right? It's some degree of probability. <laughs> All these bizarre predictions, vague predictions. Well, no, and it's it's just, I mean, you watch it, it, there's a lot of visual here too, right? That makes okay. it funny. So you lose, it, uh, you lose a fair bit in the audio, mm-hmm. but because there's signs and things going on in the background and that, that fill out the whole picture, but it's, it's, it's been, it's horrifyingly predictive from back in 2020, uh, 2010 when they aired this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so somebody, somebody did the numerology on this and I think it's, it's coincidental of course, but, uh, they, they, the, the, the guy points out this episode aired in 2010. Okay. So 2010 and event 201 was that pandemic exercise held by Bill Gates, right? The Gates foundation that conveniently seemed to just nail it on COVID-19. Predict everything. Yeah. High accuracy. And this was season 22 of the Simpsons and the outbreak took place in 2020. So, you know, this, this, this is just as good a numerology pedigree as 33. I think 22. That's <laughs> All right, Dave. 22 it is. <laughs> so politically, it's, it's vaccines full speed ahead. Booster shots are around. No jab, no job and all that stuff. Yeah. But. And it's a big but because as I'm seeing it, and uh, Dan, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I want you to walk us through the evidence is because the the scientific justification for the vaccine mandate certainly has completely crumbled. Yes. Right. And, and now I think it's becoming overwhelmingly, and I use that word not in hyperbolic ways, but I think it's overwhelmingly clear that the vaccine mandates certainly are not justified by the most recent scientific evidence. Yeah. So... Why don't we go through this? Um, why don't you take us through the, the some of these uh, research papers that are coming out and some of the things that are coming out that, that really underline or, or really support this uh, assertion that I just made? Yeah, for sure. And Dave, I just want to point people to uh, a symposium, too, of the Doctors for COVID Ethics, mm. uh, because they had a number of t- uh, speakers there. Uh, you can find it online. And one of them was Dr. Yeadon again, and he uh, talks about three tests uh, that he uses to demonstrate that it's that all these mandates are not about public health. It's really interesting. He goes over some evidence there too, but let's just dig in here. Um, and uh, let's start with this. So first of all, the, the, the mandates are based on the notion that vaccinating a person will protect others. Okay. Because it will stop the spread of the virus. That's the whole idea, protecting others. Now it mm-hmm. turns out that this uh, notion or assumption is false. And actually, it's been admitted by Fauci and CDC Director Rochelle Walensky and even Tedros of the WHO. They have all conceded that the COVID-19 so-called vaccines do not prevent infection or spread of SARS-CoV-2. Okay, And I don't know if people have missed this, but they've explicitly said it, and it completely undermines any coercive vaccine policy because it means that taking the vaccine no longer protects other people okay and so let's play Mm -hmm. some of these clips from these uh, very prominent figures in this uh, whole uh, COVID-19 story so first of all here's Fauci 
on a recent podcast on the New York Times website. We're starting to see waning immunity against infection and waning immunity in the beginning aspect against hospitalization. And if you look at Israel, Mm -hmm. which has always been a month to a month and a half ahead of us in the dynamics of the outbreak, in their vaccine response, and in every other element of the outbreak, they are seeing a waning of immunity, not only against infection, but against hospitalizations and to some extent death, which is starting to now involve all age groups. It isn't just the elderly. Yeah. So he admits that the vaccines are failing over time and that the vaccinated have waning immunity. Now, listen, that is not what the people were promised, right? They were promised that a couple of shots would get them out of the pandemic. In fact, uh, first of all, it was just one shot, the one shot summer, and then it was two, and now it's three. And now they're talking about that maybe three doses will be like the primary doses, that the third thing won't even be called a booster. It'll just be part of the primary dose regime, uh, regimen, right? So yeah. It's just, yeah, I, this is totally- I was just listening this morning to Fauci on CNN talking about the fact that the definition of the uh, being fully vaccinated is probably going to change to to that three complement. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's right. And already that's that's happening in uh, Israel. Here's more Fauci, but and 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 this one is golden, Dave. It mm-hmm. isn't as if a booster is a bonus. But a booster might actually be an essential part oh, there it is. of the primary regimen that people should have. That's interesting. Is that what you're saying? It shouldn't be seen as a bonus. It should be seen based on this waning immunity right. as part of how we think of basic vaccinations. I think when all is said and done, as we get through boosting the overwhelming majority of the people who've been primarily vaccinated, we're going to say, just like other vaccines that require multiple doses, like hepatitis B, like some of the childhood vaccinations, that it is likely, and I'm making my own personal projection as an immunologist and infectious disease person, we don't have the proof yet. The proof of the pudding will be after you get people vaccinated and boosted And we have a greater durability of protection that doesn't wane as easily. We may realize that, you know, we did a prime and a boost because we were in a medical emergency, a public health emergency. We didn't have the time to do an extensive phase 2A, phase 2B study to see whether two doses were better than three, whether six months was better than eight months. We just did with what we had, and quite frankly, it was life-saving for millions of people. So that's why I think if we continue to get as many people vaccinated who are not yet vaccinated at all and aggressively boost the people who have been vaccinated, I think you're going to see a different pattern than what we saw with the other surges over the past multiple months. So what you hear there are the goalposts moving and the rhetoric is changing, right? The third Uh, dose is going to be normalized as being part of the primary regimen. 
Yeah, I, I like this whole business. We didn't have the time to do the efficacy work, right? What, what was going to be actually efficacious. But somehow we had the time to do the safety work. Okay. I, this is the this is this is the key issue here. He I just mean, confessed that the current vaccine program, particularly the booster part of it, is experimental. Hello, Nuremberg yeah. Code. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. And if you want to actually, if you want a primer on how to parse the Fauci, these kind of Fauci interviews, Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s. The Real Anthony Fauci, brilliant book, brilliantly put together, will give mm -hmm. you a, a masterclass in how to, how, to, how to make sense of what you just heard. Yeah, exactly. In terms of messaging. Yeah, yeah Dave. I like, the I like the fact that he says, he says he's a public, public, uh, uh, sorry, how does he say it? Infectious, uh, infectious disease person, right? <laughs> he doesn't want to say bureaucrat. That's right. He's and he's certainly not, not an expert. He's not, or a research scientist, right? right. Or, or a frontline doctor. He's a, he's a public person. He's a infectious disease person. Okay. Well, Dave, here's another uh, infectious disease person, I guess. Right. This is CDC <laughs> Director Raquel Walensky with the same, or Rochelle, I'm not sure, Walensky with the same messages uh, as she talks to Wolf Blitzer on CNN. Listen. What about uh, yeah. all the fully vaccinated people who get the breakthrough infection? Can they pass it on? Could they pass it on to their children? Could they pass the virus on to older people, especially more vulnerable people with the uh, underlying health conditions? And that's exactly the point that we made in our guidance. So, yes, they can with the Delta variant. And that was the reason that we changed our guidance last Tuesday. Um, our vaccines are working exceptionally well. They continue to work well for Delta with regard to severe illness and death. They prevent it. But what they can't do anymore is prevent transmission. Yeah, Dave, listen to that. Quote, the vaccines are working exceptionally well, end quote. <laughs> Except that they're not. <laughs> That's the thing. They're not. Oh, I know. Dave. I know. Yeah. I, I, how do you listen? How do you listen to this kind of double speak? And and how do people just listen to it and not hear it? I don't know. <laughs> it just seems so cynical to me. It's uh, yeah, infectious well, disease <laughs> person. <laughs> That's right. See what we're seeing here also is a shift in messaging, right? So the vaccines yeah. are successful against extreme disease now, mm -hmm. right? But uh, that is shifting the goalposts because they were supposed to protect against infection and spread, yep. which is why we have the mandates, but which they don't do anymore. And it's very interesting. The social scientists are working overtime to craft the right type of messaging to reduce vaccine hesitancy. And uh, there's a new paper that appeared in JAMA suggesting that that the vaccine messaging should focus on how the vaccines reduce extreme illness rather than, and here I'm quoting, focusing on such metrics as their comparatively less impressive overall effectiveness of preventing symptomatic COVID-19. Okay. Oh, <laughs> because so these guys are basically writing a paper applying the BS22 coefficient to the whole situation. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Right. What they're, what they're doing, right, is saying, focus now on the idea that the, that the vaccines reduce extreme disease and don't focus on the fact that they do no longer uh, prevent infection and spread, okay? And uh, yeah. the data actually suggests that telling people the honest truth about vaccine effectiveness at reducing symptomatic COVID-19, right, which, they're, which they suck at, mm -hmm. and that telling them that actually increases vaccine hesitancy.
which of course these controllers don't want, right? No, so no. we now see, so what, when, when you hear vaccines are safe and effective, what they mean by effective is just extreme disease, no, no longer about effective at preventing infection and spread. Okay, but again, that's really problematic because that undermines this entire vaccine mandate. Okay, here is Walensky again. I would suggest you wear a mask in public indoor settings. Especially if, you, if there is a breakthrough case, uh, you get COVID, you're fully vaccinated, but you are totally asymptomatic. You could still pass on the virus to someone else. Is that right? That's exactly right. And that's where our masking recommendation came from. Yeah. So the vaccinated can not only carry the virus, but they can also spread the virus, which is why no. all, yeah, why all the vaccinated people are still masking and especially in our campuses right because our campuses at our universities are mostly vaccinated most of the people 90 something percent are vaccinated and they all have to continue to wear masks distance and all sorts of stuff right so this is not what people were promised they were promised that if they take the vaccine then everything will go back to normal yet here we are masking distancing lining up for the jab for yet another jab oh boy no, Dan, this is where I should have clipped that Jordan Peterson clip where he says, I took the jab. Now leave me the F alone. <laughs> yeah, you're never going to be left alone, uh, Jordan, because you're just now on the program. You've just started yeah. the program. Yeah. By the time you're on your sixth shot and you can barely get out of bed at that point, yeah, they may they may stop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hey Dan, I've got a I've got a clip here with from uh, Dr. Tedros of the uh, World Health Organization on uh, November twelfth. Is November twelfth COVID update that pretty much um, uh, says the same stuff here? Listen, COVID nineteen is surging in countries with lower vaccination rates in Eastern Europe, but also in countries with some of the world's highest vaccination rates in Western Europe. It's another reminder, as we have said again and again that vaccines do not replace the need for other precautions. What? Vaccines reduce the risk of hospitalization, severe disease, and death. But they do not fully prevent transmission. There you go. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm crestfallen. I was just going <laughs> to run out and get my jab tomorrow afternoon. <laughs> well, make sure you wear your mask because you're going to need it after your jab. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, uh, here's Bill Gates. This is from the uh, Policy Exchange UK YouTube channel. And uh, he's having a conversation with um, RT on Jeremy Hunt MP. So chair of the Health Selections Committee. So I don't know how to parse all those uh, all those honor, honorifics there. But uh, anyways, here's the clip. Yeah, so it's 2015 that I gave the uh, TED Talk. I wrote a number of papers Uh titled, We're Not Ready uh, for the Next Pandemic. And sadly, that was uh, a better forecast of what would happen than uh, anyone would have wished for. You know, the economic damage, the, you know, the deaths, it's been completely horrific. And I would expect that will lead the R&D budgets to be focused on things we didn't have today. You know, we didn't have vaccines that block transmission. We got vaccines that help you with your health, but they only slightly reduce the transmissions. We need a new, a new way of doing the vaccines. We didn't get much in the way of therapeutics. Uh, you know, dexamethasone and now 
uh, molnupiravir uh, could help, but way less than, than should have been the case. We didn't get the diagnostics up and running in order to you know, achieve what at least Australia and New Zealand showed that uh, competent management could keep the death rate down uh, pretty dramatically. So, so the vaccines only slightly reduce transmissions. Yes, Dave. And he calls <laughs> Australia's and New Zealand's authoritarian oppression, he calls it competent management. <laughs> Which tells you a lot about the sort of model the elites will support going forward. It's very frightening. Yeah. <laughs> Dave, there's so much evidence now that the vaccine effectiveness, especially against infection, is waning. And I, I want to share some of the actual evidence here from the scientific papers. And you, uh, I hope you include all the links in the show notes. And we encourage Definitely. our listeners to go to the show notes, to look at these yourself, have these with you so that you can argue against these vaccine mandates competently, okay? Mm -hmm. Okay, so first of all, the magnitude of vaccine failure uh, that has been documented, let me tell you, it is spectacular. So for example, in two military samples, links are in the show notes, after roughly six months after injection, the J&J &J vaccine's efficacy against infection drops to around 3% in one sample and 13% in the other sample, okay? So uh, in those samples, the other vaccines are somewhere below 50% effectiveness, okay? So, 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 so this is why the Brits are talking about a possibly having a three-month booster cycle. That's right, because they're actually dropping very quickly. And I like these military samples because obviously yeah. you can control a lot, right? With the, there's, yeah. there's a whole bunch of other samples, and you can actually go to a CDC review that's on the CDC site, and we'll link that one. Mm -hmm. And uh, they have samples that show slightly more favorable, favorable results for the vaccines, but some of those samples are very small, and it's, they, they, they look at uh, cases, and so there are some problems there. But anyway, people mm -hmm. can go and take a look. But certainly we're not in that 95% range that we were initially told these vaccines would be in. And, you know, this is why, this is why boosters are being deployed around the world. And the key point here is that these such leaky vaccines, uh, there is just no way one can create and maintain so-called herd immunity with these vaccines. Once you drop down below 90 or 85 or whatever, like they're, they're just not going to be up to the task. Yeah. Now also... Uh, there is evidence that the vaccinated can carry the same viral loads as the unvaccinated, okay, which is problematic because the vaccines suppress symptoms and therefore they allow the virus carrying vaccinated individuals to unintentionally spread the virus to others, okay, especially since there are no testing requirements for the vaccinated. So they actually become the so-called super spreaders that people claim the unvaccinated to be. And uh, I have a quote here from a Lancet paper. Now, remember, the Lancet is a top medical journal. And here's what it says. This is right from the conclusions in their abstract. Quote, fully vaccinated individuals with breakthrough infections have peak viral load similar to unvaccinated cases and can efficiently transmit infection in household settings including to fully vaccinated contacts, end quote. Wow. wow. Yeah. And so 
This really undermines these coercive vaccination policies. And uh, yeah, I think I, I feel like I dropped the ball here. I should really have ready some clips here from Fauci, you know, with 95% effective and yeah. warning us against uh, asymptomatic spread here. Because you know how with uh, Pastor uh, Pavlovsky there, Archer, yeah. when the judge told him he had to, every time he opened his mouth, he had to read the government statement on these things. Yeah. We, sh- we should proactively... Uh, when they come after us, already have in the episode these little Fauci clips from before. Yes, yes. <laughs> Talking about ninety-five percent effective. So you can you can cite the studies all you want. I just I think we should we should you know in the future maybe not for this episode uh, have, those have clips them ready, ready yeah. so that we can give the governmental disclaimer. Yeah, <laughs> as we read the real evidence. <laughs> That's right. Well, Dave, what's really interesting, right, is that this level of leakiness in the vaccines actually turns out to potentially be very problematic because yeah. there's prior work with uh, Merrick's disease, which is uh, kind of like a polio disease in chickens. And uh, there's, yeah. there's a very interesting paper on this summarizing the work uh, in national geographic so we'll link to that but basically what it shows what it shows is that uh, they deployed a vaccine for merrick's disease but the vaccine was leaky and that led to the formation of mutant variants which then took over and made the disease even more lethal and then ultimately they had to you know keep developing vaccines and ultimately if you weren't fully vaccinated these chickens would just die from the disease so they they took a disease that was bad and made it incredibly worse and the argument was that leaky vaccines will create selective pressure that will lead to the formation of mutant variants that will then take over and potentially harm everyone so that's a possibility here right yeah very much so yeah we're going to generate these uh, uh you know these mutants or create conditions that will lead to the generation of these mutants especially given these leaky vaccines and see nobody's talking about that Right. Yeah, it's very concerning. Well, Dr. Uh, Robert Malone, the actually the inventor of the um, the uh, mRNA concept of of using them therapeutically, he's now come out, and this is one of the points he makes. Yes, fact, I, that's, I understand, that's where I learned it from, Dave. Yeah, I, as I, I understand, the, the mainstream is not talking about this. Yeah, as I understand, Dan, what they have to do, they because this is such a threat, they don't even try anymore. Like you get Merricks, and they just kill the whole population of chickens yes. because it's yeah. safer for the wider population than doing what they did creating these um this um um this conundrum right that, yeah, that ultimately the, was so damaging the omicron variant how did it get Uh-oh. to canada because only vaccinated people can travel <gasps> anyways uh, so here's another paper uh <laughs> That's a, that's, a, that's a good point yeah my oh. wife makes that point so here's a here's yeah. another paper published in the european journal of epidemiology okay title increases in covid19 are unrelated to levels of vaccination across 68 countries and 2947 counties in the united states so Places that ha- are, have more vaccination, higher proportion of the population is vaccinated, are no less likely to have uh, COVID-19 outbreaks and to have COVID-19 cases. So it's, it's damning data, and it's across a number of countries and, and a number of counties, over 2,000, almost 3,000 counties in the United States. And in fact, 
there is a slight trend if you look at the data where an increased vaccination is associated with increased infections. It's not statistically significant, but it's certainly there. And again, this data undermines forced vaccination programs because vaccination does not seem to mean less COVID. I can keep going here, Dave, because there's yeah, another fact. Yeah, keep going, keep going, because I, I see you've got a bunch of uh, other articles still in, in the pipe, and and I think just just get it out there because people need to hear about this. Okay, an article, a correspondence piece, actually, in The Lancet, again, top medical journal, that directly addresses the issue of the vaccinated carrying and spreading the virus. So, title, COVID-19, stigmatizing the unvaccinated is not justified, end quote. And it's... Uh, was written by Professor Gunter Kempf from a university in Germany. Uh, link in the show notes. And he reviews some of the evidence of the large amount of infections among vaccinated people and then concludes with this statement. Quote, Historically, both the USA and Germany have engendered negative experiences by stigmatizing parts of the population for their skin color or religion. I call on high-level officials and scientists to stop the inappropriate stigmatization of unvaccinated people who include our patients, colleagues, and other fellow citizens, and to put extra effort into bringing society together, end quote. And I love his message. See, he links the current situation to other historical instances of discrimination. And uh, remember, Fauci confessed that the current vaccination program is experimental. So again, hello, Nuremberg Code. Yeah, no, exactly. And and Dan, there's clear evidence out there that the vaccines don't prevent infection um, and don't infect spread of the virus. Mm -hmm. And this evidence, as you've just outlined, is in the top journals. Like it's in the Lancet. It's it's in the British Journal of Medicine. There's there's places where... um, the evidence is breaking through, and the yes. real question is, is, is uh, well, being published, right, even though a lot of that is also being censored, and we, we've talked suppressed, about that before, yep. mm-hmm. um, suppressed in the sense that there's, there's, um, there's, there's many studies that have been torpedoed even after being accepted. Peter yes. McCullough's got a big lawsuit in one of these, right? Yep. But, but, but even, even despite that, there is now in the journals, uh, there is now peer-reviewed, published evidence. And we have to ask ourselves, what? why don't people know about these findings, right? Isn't it the job of the media to bring this news to us, this good news? Yes. Um, well, actually, this is not good news <laughs> at all. The, the fact that we've gone down this road and it doesn't work. But uh, the, It's news. It's, it's the yeah, truth. It's, 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 it's absolutely the news, truth. right? And, and if, you, if, if your news cycle is, uh, you know, that... Uh, you want to focus on good news is bad news, um, <laughs> that, that that kind of stuff. The the uh, they should be reporting on this. And and Haskell, I have my own Haskell clip here, and Haskell actually talks about this. Uh, remember, he's the media prof, right? So yeah. he talks about this bias uh, of and lack of reporting. Listen to this. Um, we have databases at Laurier, newspaper databases. So it gives you all of the newspapers that are available here in Canada. So I thought, well, what I'll do is I will look up. What, what's been going on in terms of certain studies related to the COVID-19 vaccine? So this morning I, I went looking for media bias. So using these databases, I did a search of all the major news outlets. I looked at the Globe and Mail, Toronto Star, National Post, CBC, CTV, Global News. And I even looked at their affiliates as well. And I wanted to see if any of our mainstream media had said, said anything 
if they even had a single article on the half dozen academic reports and studies that have been published since September. Now, these studies, you're aware of them, I'm sure your audience is, have shown that the vaccinated and the unvaccinated catch and spread the COVID virus in near equal measure or an equal measure, depending on the study. Sometimes it's so unvaccinated more so, some of the studies. Yeah, exactly. And, and so, so we know that this is the case. We've got these academic reports, but out of all mainstream media in Canada, since the fall, only one media outlet had a single report about these half dozen studies. And I say the half dozen, there are more, but half dozen that have appeared in reputable journals. Uh, there, and, and several of them are peer reviewed. And I'll tell you who was the one that, that did publish. It was the Sun Media Chain. Uh, and they've been guess. fairly fairly <laughs> good. You know, they've been trying their best to, to be neutral, I believe. But even there, it was a single article of 134 words. And, and it was uh, about that bombshell study that had just come out at the end of October in The Lancet. So The Lancet Medical Journal uh, looked at transmission uh, the viral load and transmission among the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. That's what we mentioned. The UK, mm -hmm. And they found that they catch and spread it about equally. So this is major, right? It's a peer-reviewed study in a prestigious journal. You would think that totally every, ignored. Uh, totally ignored. Yeah. So then the media, which relies heavily on advertising revenue from pharmaceutical companies, Right. Cue yeah. here the uh, sponsored by Pfizer clip, which we opened the episode with. Yep. Um, is simply not reporting on any of these studies. Surprise, surprise. What a conflict of interest. My mind. Yeah. Yeah, completely. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Now, look, uh, just moving on here, we should definitely talk about uh, natural immunity. And I think you want to also talk about all cause mortality because okay. these are these are <clears throat> key things. So launch in and just just give it to us again here. Yeah. So. The vaccine mandates, at least in our part of the world, don't take into account naturally acquired immunity, even though there's a heap of paper showing that naturally acquired immunity from prior infection produces robust and broad immunity, much better than the vaccines produce, in fact. So, some papers. For example, uh, the title of an article in Nature reads, SARS-CoV-2 infection induces long-lived bone marrow plasma cells in humans. And they write the following, quote, Overall, our results indicate that mild infection with SARS-CoV-2 induces robust, antigen-specific, long-lived, humoral, immune memory in humans, end quote. Mm. Then, another paper published in Cell Reports Medicine, and it's titled this way, quote, Longitudinal analysis shows durable and broad immune memory after SARS-CoV-2 infection with persisting antibody responses and memory B and T cells, end quote. So there you go again. Now, there are many other papers, and perhaps maybe what I'll do rather than going through all of them is just to point our listeners to an article put out by the Brownstone Institute in which they list 30 studies that generally show naturally acquired immunity to SARS-CoV-2 is very robust. And they have some published papers and some preprints as well, and our listeners can go and take a look at those. Another interesting article that summarizes things is uh, Kennedy's The Defender Children's Health Defense News and Views article that lists over 80 studies supporting this view. So there is tons of evidence 
that once you have a SARS-CoV-2 infection, you have robust, naturally acquired immunity. Mm -hmm. Now, Mm -hmm. what's really interesting is when we come to consider all-cause mortality, and just as a quick review, so far we've said that the COVID-19 mandates ignore some key facts, including, first of all, uh, that COVID-19 vaccines do not stop infection and spread of SARS-CoV-2, and second, that uh, people who have been previously infected have natural immunity, it's robust, and this is being ignored also by the vaccine mandates. But there's a third point that I think completely demolishes the underlying rationale for COVID-19 vaccine mandates. Listen to this clip from Dr. Norman Fenton, who is a professor of risk information management at Queen's Mary London University in the UK. And let me tell you, this guy, this guy's publication record is absolutely impressive with a lot of papers, recent papers on COVID related issues. And uh, yeah, I was just blown away. Okay, here's a clip from the interview on LCB Radio. Hi, thanks. Yes, our team spent lots of time analysing publicly available data on COVID. And we're continually finding, actually, that the official messages you hear about both the scale of the problem and the effectiveness of interventions, especially now vaccines, are massively exaggerated. So when it comes to the vaccine, ultimately, the only truly objective way to evaluate its overall risk benefit is to compare the all-cause mortality for the vaccinated against the unvaccinated. So in crude terms, if the virus is as dangerous as claimed and the vaccine is as effective as claimed, then we should by now have data confirming that the vaccine is saving a lot more lives than it's killing. So basically, the Office of National Statistics have been publishing data on the England mortality of vaccinated against unvaccinated. And we've done this detailed analysis of their most recent report. So that's what my colleague Martin Neal was tweeting about. Now, interestingly, superficially, when you look at the data there, it actually suggests some support for vaccine effectiveness, at least in the older age groups. There's some doubt about the younger age group because it's too wide and it was too confounded by age. But we found so many inconsistencies and anomalies in the data that when you take account of the most obvious explanations for these, there really is no reliable evidence that the vaccines reduce all-cause mortality. In fact, if you take account of the fact that newly vaccinated people who die are likely being misclassified as unvaccinated, because that's the most likely explanation for the strange things in the data, then you get to the conclusion that the vaccines don't seem to be reducing all-cause mortality, but rather produce a genuine spike in all-cause mortality shortly after vaccinations. So I want to make sure everyone got this. He says that the vaccines do not reduce mortality, okay, all-cause mortality, and that they actually produce a spike in all-cause mortality after vaccination. Mm-hmm. And here's just another quick clip where he clarifies why he thinks it might, this might be the case. So what we're seeing in the data is that the unvaccinated seem to be dying after not getting the first dose and the single dose are dying after not getting the second dose and of course a simple explanation for why you see such a pattern is that the vaccinated who die within 14 days of vaccination are simply being categorized as unvaccinated and there's a similar thing occurring after the second dose right so it seems to be this categorization problem that others have talked about because in many data sets people are only considered vaccinated if they're two weeks after they receive their jab. And so even though the you get second the second jab, jab. Yeah, and well, that's right. Well, that, that'd be fully vaccinated, but even vaccinated yeah, okay, with the I first see, yeah, jab. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So 
in that in that interim two weeks after you get the needle in your arm, you're still considered unvaccinated or like one step lower, right? So if you're getting your second, you're only considered one one time vaccinated. And if yep. you're getting your first, you're considered zero time vaccinated. But it's during that time, during those two weeks after the jab, that people uh, are dying. Basically, you see this increased death, right? Yeah, that's right. And, and that, that's, but those are all the 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 anaphylaxis to the, some of the ingredients, right? Whether immediate or within within a you know short time, the, those are the the, the, the severe um, uh, cardiac events. Yes, and, that's right. All, all that kind of you know the, the clotting events that that stuff. But but this is the scam: is that they go on the books as unvaccinated. That's the argument that Professor Norman Fenton is making. Yeah. That's right. Right, because there's there's the long term problems that we don't have a full handle on yet, but we know about the short term problems, but it's being essentially hidden. That's right. Yeah, and and when he takes out these people who are within two weeks of their jab, what you see is that the all cause mortality for the vaccinated and the unvaccinated is roughly equivalent. Right. So yeah, the, wow. the main effect wow. goes away. Okay. Wow. Here's more from Fenton. But the key thing is, there just is not the evidence for the efficacy in terms of this overall reduced all-cause mortality. And incidentally, nobody should actually be surprised about this if they're really looking at the data, because even in Pfizer's randomized controlled experiment of 42,000 participants there, equally split between vaccinated and unvaccinated, if you actually look at who's actually died at the end of that, and it's, it's now many months on, you're actually seeing, well, not many deaths overall, but there are slightly more deaths in the vaccinated. Not statistically more, but again, there's no there's no evidence that the vaccine is reducing all cause mortality. So even the Pfizer trials show the same thing. Why are yeah, we the forcing fi- the, the, the Pfizer trials that we don't get to see for another fifty five to seventy five years now? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and court, actually, court orders. <laughs> yeah, there was a, a FOIA request, and they did get yeah. some information. And what it showed was that Pfizer was aware of and the documented a whole host of adverse events. And despite yeah. that, they were still approved. Uh, and so maybe we'll, we'll put a link to well, that as well. Well, what I'm, what I'm referring to is the, um, now this is, I'll try and rem- find this for the show notes, but there was a, the judge basically um, d- uh, approved the request to withhold Pfizer data for 50 some odd years. And then yeah. there was another request to with, they, Pfizer reapplied to get it 75 years. Why? Why isn't there transparency? There, everybody should be demanding full transparency. No, Dan, the vaccines are safe and effective. They're ninety-five percent effective. They're hundred percent safe. Get your jab, or you don't have a job. That's right, Dave. And right? you got to make sure you get it uh, because otherwise, I'm not safe. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you, you, uh, that I have to put my life jacket on in order for your life jacket to work. Exactly. That's, that's the basic idea. <laughs> why are we forcing people? There. Yeah. Why are we forcing people to take these vaccines if they don't even reduce all cause, all cause mortality? Ah, okay. Final bit from uh, professor yeah. Fenton. Is your research peer reviewed by the way? Now, the funny thing is, and when we first started doing research on this, we had no problems getting our work in peer-reviewed papers because we weren't challenging the narrative. We were simply looking at things like infection rates and fatality rates and whether they were accurate and, and stuff like this. But as soon as it became clear that, you know, with the sort of mass testing of asymptomatic people, the potential for sort of false positives of asymptomatics was inflating case numbers and covid so-called hospitalization and the deaths, we, as soon as we started raising those concerns, our, our work 
soon as we submitted it for publication, it was being rejected without review, something I've never had before happen. And it's even difficult uh-huh. to get it up on preprint servers. We just publish it on servers where you don't have to be reviewed. So, so Dave, they can't even get their work reviewed, let yeah. alone published. Yeah, I'm glad you put that one in because that's the clip I remember, and I was gonna, I was gonna mention that because because this is the blockade that we're experiencing here, right? Yeah. McCullough has a paper that got approved, went into pre, was you know put in the preprints and all that stuff. Everything was done except last minute they said, oh, uh, it doesn't fit our thing, and and uh, we're gonna yeah. pull it. Big lawsuit yeah. over that because because there is absolutely some kind somewhere. I'm not going to speculate about what or who or how, but there is um, there is a level where the mandates are all of a sudden just like to our doctors: don't give out the thing, don't give out uh, any any um, exemptions. Uh, yep. There's now a mandate: don't publish any of the dissenting evidence. And look, the way reason we know this happens is because we know this happens when it comes to uh, evolutionist stuff. That's right. It's been right? going That's on well in different areas. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is why we don't trust the epistemic establishment, because yep. even at these fundamental publication biases at the level of, of data coming into the scientific literature. Yeah, I'll put a link. I'll put a link in the show notes with an interview with Peter McCullough on the Dark Horse uh, podcast, Brett Weinstein. And, and, you know, Brett Weinstein the, the, and his co-hosts, they're, they're, they're rabid evolutionists. It's not like we really recommend them, but they, these are people that are rational. They're seeing what's happening and they're absolutely opposed to this kind of stifling of scientific evidence. Yeah. Yeah, Dave. And the key point here is that the scientific rationale for vaccine mandates is crumbling if it hasn't crumbled already. Um, mm-hmm. yet when I mention this evidence, especially to colleagues, people stare and they just say, oh, I disagree. They simply refuse to discuss the evidence, which is so shocking to me. And, uh, you know, I wonder, like, think about it. They are releasing boosters. That means things aren't working here. There's evidence showing things aren't working. And yet everybody's like, yeah, but they're safe and effective. Safe and effective. We all have to. This is the best way to get out of the pandemic. They just repeat that like zombies, and it's make it makes me th- uh, think, Dave, that even though the vaccines don't provide robust and sterilizing immunity against COVID nineteen, they mm. do provide immunity against evidence, logic, and reason. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Dan. Remember that clip by Dr. Hodgson that we? I think it was Hodgson that we had a couple episodes ago. Yes. Common sense. It has completely disappeared. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, you know, and Alex Berenson on Substack has a, has a article uh, preparing people to head into these kind of conversations for the holidays. And and he says, look, you're not going to get anywhere with, with, um, these debates of the evidence, but ask this one simple question. It's just what you just said, right? If the vaccines work, if I'm remembering correctly, if the vaccines yep. work, then what is going on? That's How right. do you explain what's going on? Yep. Why are you getting boosters? Why do you still wear a mask and have to distance? Why is it the case that you still can't go back to normal? Yeah. These are good questions. Yeah. No, it's, it's, well, Dan, why don't we why don't we head into a conclusion here? Because I think we're we've got a pretty long episode. We're not going to cut it this time. You're not going to yeah. cut it. We're going to put it out mega episode. That's okay. Um, but let's 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 summarize this thing. Okay. Well, Dave, can I maybe end on a clip from Paul Kingsnorth? Perfect. Um, he's the formerly left leaning writer 
who is now changing his views on the COVID situation. And uh, he talks about uh, what, what he calls the thesis view, which is the mainstream position, and why he is shifting to the opposite or the antithesis position. Okay, now listen to this. Mm-hmm. I started off, broadly speaking, being a conventional thesis kind of a chap, and I've slid towards the antithesis position, certainly. And the fear is very simple, certainly from my point of view, and it's the fear of, of galloping authoritarian control. Um, and the, the fear more broadly, and I think it, there's, there's reality in this, um, very much so, is that a pre-existing trend, which we, we could all see, towards technological control and monitoring and compliance in society, uh, the, 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 the use of uh, everything from social media to smartphone apps to um, algorithms to artificial intelligence to push us towards a society, something that I call a machine society, which is controlled, monitored, everybody is compliant, um, and we have to effectively create a, a smart world, right, where everything's online, including our bodies, including our homes. This stuff's all been on the agenda for a very long time. There's no secret about it. That was happening anyway. That's the direction we've been moving in. Now, the fear uh, on the on the so-called antithesis side, if you leave aside all the conversations about whether vaccines or masks are good or whatever, is that this virus is being used, and I think it is, to push us in that direction. Now, that argument can be used to justify any kind of crazy conspiracy about how Bill Gates faked the whole thing or whatever, but that's not the issue. There's no conspiracy needed to see that what is the way that this is being managed through technology, through the vaccine as a techno fix, through authoritarian mandates, QR codes that you have to scan to go to the pub, all of that stuff is taking us into a normalization of ourselves as kind of acceptable digital members of society and we move towards this is the great fear and i think there's truth in it that we move towards a chinification of the west right where we're basically walking into a social credit system and if people have now normalized scanning their smartphone to go anywhere with their qr code that tells them they're healthy what gets added to that is it your insurance details is it your social media profile whether you said anything bad and got mobbed today um how uh, and and we have to see that in in uh, another way in the context of the work I was doing for years on environmentalism, we're going into an age of climate change. We need to manage emissions. We've got sort of collapsing and crumbling ecosystems. It becomes more and more necessary to tightly manage people, right? So that we don't create uh, a kind of damaging mass society, control their emissions, control their behavior. And again, right, lots of good people will say, well, this is necessary. So you don't need an evil cabal who wants to destroy you. You just have to look at the logic of where the technological society is moving. So that's the fear. And as I say, as, as I've watched this, I mean, you know, two years ago, I heard people predicting that this would lead to vaccine passports. And it sounded like the sort of thing David Icke would say. And now it's here. So <laughs> where do we go next? Yeah. So he's that's talking. Excellent. That's the clip of the show, Dan. That, that's brilliant. Yeah. He does a very good breakdown there. And he mm-hmm. himself obviously is changing his view because at the beginning he was all pro uh, all these interventions and so on. And now he's seeing that what it's doing is moving us towards technocracy. And, and that mm-hmm. includes technological control and what we're engaged in right now, essentially, is training the, the population for compliance. And that's why that word keeps coming up, mm-hmm. compliance. Mm-hmm. And I remember Bonnie Millard, so she's an immunologist uh, from University of Guelph in, in one speech, she talks about this and harps on this word compliance. Why do, why do they say non-compliant? Or are you compliant with the vaccine mandate? Because that's what the future is about. It's about technocratic rules, technocratic control, and you as a citizen being compliant. Yeah, I I, um, I agree with you, Dan. And I think uh, he used the term uh, techno- technological society, and I've been reading Jack Ellul's uh, 
uh, the technological society. And I think absolutely this is a, this, and this was written back in the sixties. This is the threat. This is where we're headed. Um, this is why we do have to get to put together an episode on technocracy, I think. Um, yeah. And Brzezinski is the other listeners. one who contributed to that uh, thinking. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we need to, uh, we need to get, get that together. I, I think you're absolutely right, Dan. This is where we're, this is, this is where we're headed. Dave, the year of our Lord 2021 mm-hmm. will go down in history as the year that our institutions of higher learning turn their backs on many of their foundational values, their values of non-discrimination, inclusivity, bioethics, human rights, data-driven decision-making, and they join the technocratic oppressors with their tyrannical and unscientific vaccine mandates. The mainstream universities have fallen. Mm. Dave, uh, we got to ask everyone to spread the word, spread this episode, and we want to thank those who have sent us information. I included some information here that was shared with me uh, by friends and so on. Um, get this information out there. And so, Dave, why don't you tell everyone where they can find us? Yeah, before I do that, Dan, I want to highlight an article that I think everybody should take a look at because we hopefully will talk about it in the show, but it's by... Um, Professor uh, Dr. Douglas Farrow, who is the uh, professor of uh, theology and ethics at McGill University, and he's a very prolific number of books. He's a Roman Catholic uh, uh, layman and um, professor of ethics, and he. this is an article in the Catholic World where he says, whether, the title is, Whether There Is a Moral Obligation to Disobey the Coercive Mandates. Um Mm-hmm. It's it's uh it's well I think I have an idea how we can talk about this in the next episode but if we don't get to it I'm going to put a link in the show notes with this one and then another one of his articles which uh he wrote earlier that is uh, whether there's a moral obligation to be vaccinated very uh I think very important for people especially Christians to start wrapping their brains around these uh, these arguments and these ideas because this is this is um this is where things are headed and um, we need to have, uh, uh, at the very least, a sense of um, the landscape, the philosophical, moral, theological landscape on these things. So, so that'll be in the show notes. Also links to some of these resistance movements. We've had the Great Barrington Declaration. Well, there's a whole bunch that are now opposing mandatory vaccinations. R- professionals, I'm talking about, not just groups of people, but, but uh, doctors, scientists. Uh, opposing these things there'll be links in the show notes and you can all find that it, the, the show notes come with the episode in your podcast player you, know, you can there's usually a page that shows them with the links but also on our website notconform.show the individual episode pages will have the whole show note list of links and then I usually put some extras and stuff in there as well that are relevant stuff we're never going to get to so uh, notconform.show um, you can also subscribe there. That's the best way to let people find us. They can just, uh, you click on stuff and it'll auto launch. And oh, oh, by the way, I, I finally, after last episode, I went back into Simplecast and I finally found how to turn back on what had been accidentally turned off when they versioned up to the next version was the download link, the MP3 download link for each episode. So now it's there, it's on the side and uh, we're good to go. So I know some of our listeners were asking for that. So it's, it's, it's there as well as on the bottom of the more recent show notes. So notconform.show. Also, if you want to email us, info at notconform.show, which goes through our ProtonMail, notconformed at protonmail.com. So if you want to stay in the ProtonMail system, uh, notconformed at protonmail.com. All right. So um, that that's 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 where to find us. I think we'll we'll leave that. Oh, by the way, stay stay listening to the end. We have a, a brilliant uh, listener. Well, it's my wife's uh, 
um, was inspired by a podcast she was listening to, um, Canada Polly, who said, oh, somebody should do the 12 days of Pfizer parody. And so she did. And uh, we've got a treat for you for an end of show um, listen. So Fantastic. that's it all, folks. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, if we don't manage to get an episode out before Christmas, uh, uh, a blessed Christmas to all of you. But we will definitely get one out um, uh, very early, maybe before the new year, hopefully, but uh, yeah. definitely early in the new year. All right. Take care, everyone. All right. We'll get the vaccine. With the first jab of Pfizer, my physician said to me, with this jab, you will be free. With the second jab of Pfizer, my physician said to me, Another booster left, and with this job you will be free. With the third job of Pfizer, my physician said to me, More variants, another booster left, and with this job you will be free. With the fourth job of Pfizer, my physician said to me, Continued lockdowns, more variants, another booster left, and with this job you will be free. With the fifth job of Pfizer, my physician said to me, You must comply. Continued lockdowns, more variants, another booster left, and with this job you will be free. With the sixth jab of Pfizer, my physician said to me, Don't be an anti-vaxxer, you must comply. Continued lockdowns, more variants, another booster left, And with this jab you will be free. With the seventh jab of Pfizer, my physician said to me, Education counts, don't be an anti-vaxxer, you must comply. Continued lockdowns, more variants, another booster left, and with this job you will be free. With the eighth job of Pfizer, my physician said to me, for your health and safety, education counts, don't be an anti-vaxxer, you must comply. Continued lockdowns, more variants, another booster left, and with this job you will be free. With the ninth job of Pfizer, my physician said to me, Safe and effective for your health and safety. Education camps don't be an anti-vaxxer. You must comply. Continued lockdowns, more variants, another booster left. And with this job, you will be free. With the tenth job of Pfizer, my physician said to me, Minor complications, safe and effective for your health and safety. Education camps don't be an anti-vaxxer. You must comply. Continued lockdowns, more variants, another booster left. And with this job, you will be free. With the eleventh job of Pfizer, my physician said to me, just a little blood clot, minor complications, safe and effective for your health and safety. Education camps don't be an anti-vaxxer, you must comply. Continued lockdowns, more 
variants, another booster left. And with this jab, you will be free. With the twelfth jab of Pfizer, my physician said to me, I have to keep my license, just a little blood clot, minor complication, safe and effective for your health and safety. Education counts, don't be an anti-vaxxer, you must comply. Continued lockdowns, more variants, another booster left, and from this job you'll never be free. It's not going to be an endpoint to this vaccination program.